Podcasts. Uh, it's 22 degrees outside, mostly clear skies. I'm really feeling more like 8 degrees, winds at 11 miles per hour, and 31% humidity. Uh, we hand over to Matt Storm for the traffic and John for the current events. Q. Well, the current traffic in this living room is non existent. There are no cars and no moving vehicles of any kind. I noticed that. John? In sports, we find ourselves with really nothing to talk about. You were current events, not sports, damn it. All right, that's all right. Yeah, but there's really nothing outside of sports I care about. And current events is the I crap. gave you too broad of a category. Yes. Okay. That's true. Uh, you didn't have your research. I hated that. I need the who, that's what, right. when, where, and why. No one's listening. No one has a friend listening. In the, in the morning cast? In the not morning the morning cast, cast yeah. Well, technically, we can be the anytime cast. We can be the anytime cast. This but. is, it's, it's uh, the, the midnight cast. When the only people Boy listening cast. to are, are tired, drunk, or stoned. Or Don't tell them when we record. It's not fair. No, that's, that's... It's not fair to someone. Who? Someone. I'm sure someone care, cares, and it's not fair to who yeah, cares. Yeah, that's right. You're you're being mean to Jeff. I'm sorry, Jeff. There you go. We, we'll do this I better apologize, for you. I apologize, Jeff. Jeff, I, I, John is apologizing in, on my behalf, on everyone's behalf here. So before we get into this week's uh, album, I know that you wanted to talk a little bit, speaking of current events... About the Grammys last night, or, yeah, last night. That's right, John. You totally could have stepped into the Grammys. I know. Two uh, cool events. Have. Two big cool events. I, myself, did not watch the Grammys because I was too busy going to Nerdyoki with our old friend Joe Rude. So I missed out on the uh, Grammys. But apparently some exciting things had happened. A few, anyway. Well, let's just say we reviewed several of the albums that were there. Which is, of course, we try to have a healthy mix of what's relevant and what's a little bit off the wall. In terms of what's relevant, we had Macklemore and Ryan Lewis there, nominated, and I believe they won several categories. And Daft Punk, Random Access Memories, which we also reviewed. They won Album of the Year. It wasn't our Album of the Year, but it was their Album of the Year. I understand the appeal of Daft Punk. I really sure. do. My thing with that album was that it was just, it, it was a little too retro. So in many yeah. ways, it's like, I could see it winning back in the 70s, but, you know. Yeah. It would have killed in the 70s. Exactly. It would have yeah. made disco cool in the 70s. The other thing is, it was a nostalgia album. A lot of, they were, they were spending a lot of time, I mean, especially with that Giorgio. Giorgio yeah. Oh, that's, that. and that's still one of my favorite songs on the record. It's, it's just a, so great. Well, it's how, it's how they got started, yeah. which is almost, I almost want to take it as a separate thing and not as right. like a, 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 a renowned, you know, universal appeal album of the year kind of thing. Right. But um, still good, what it's worth. And you had mentioned that something interesting had actually happened with Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. That's right. Uh, in response to their pretty groundbreaking track, Same Love, um, featuring, I forget, who was the guest, who was the guest star on that? Oh, I the can't remember singer. her name. She but was, it was a, a singer, lesbian it was a friend of her, a, a, a lesbian singer from Seattle, from yeah. uh, Macklemore's hometown, and she came on to do the performance right there, and then after that, it was response to the song, the Grammy community came together and decided to actually marry several gay and lesbian couples right there in the Grammy, in the auditorium. Ordained. And Queen Latifah is, was the, uh, um, the the minister, whatever you'd say, the, the, she was ordained. She's ordained. Yeah. yeah, she can do it. Apparently, who that's who'd have thunk it? That's actually kind of really awesome. Who knew that the Grammys would do something relevant? Yeah, 
Happens once in a while. Yeah. They were bound to do it by yeah. accident. Probably the first one that I've watched in like several years, and, and something relevant happened. I'm assuming that nothing relevant happened in the interim. Probably not, yeah. and if so, I've forgotten already. There you are. Um, I still hold grudge against the Grammys when they gave Best Metal Album the year that the Black Album came out to Jethro Tull, who are a lot of things, but not metal. Yeah. I could see metal leanings in Jethro Tull's music. Shut up, John. Granted, the bulk of it came out before metal was even an idea. Trying to think what else happened at the Grammys. We had several things. There was a pretty interesting uh, uh, duet by Pink and the lead singer of Fun, which I didn't expect, and that was uh, was probably one of the most impressive things during the the entire special. It made Fun enjoyable. (laughs) That's the thing. Because, I don't know, I go back and forth. I'm not really that big fan of Fun, but I have to say that was... His voice really worked in, in in the duet medium, in my opinion. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm a fan of Pink. As far as pop stars go, yeah. she's one of my favorite. We also got a performance by Ringo Starr. Wow. Eh? So eh? exciting. Eh? Anybody? He's being showcased at the Grammys. He's going up in the world. Well, I wouldn't say showcased. <laughs> but, <laughs> he but was they the had, introduction. He was there, and Paul McCartney was there, and, uh, and Yoko Ono was there. I guess, you know, filling in. <laughs> sure. Well, it's a well, role. She, she probably has an honorary of, thing at this point. Well, she consumed most of his soul, honorary so ticket. she's practically John Lennon oh, at this point. Oh, we're not going to do that right That is not true. Take it back right now. That's I, what, this is this is almost like the abortion topic in terms of how it like riles people up. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's insane. Even though there's clearly one obvious and correct answer, people still get riled up. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, um... We're saying that yeah. Yoko's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're saying. The, she is a verb, after all. People say you Yoko'd the band. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. I'm trying to remember... What that's from? The no, 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 no. Uh, the, the, quit breaking up the band, Yoko. Oh, that 70s show. Yes. It was that 70s show uh, when one of the two female characters was causing problems between the guys and... And Kelso just goes, quit breaking... No, Eric goes, quit breaking up the band, Yoko, yelling at her. I was actually thinking of Flight of the Concords. There was that girl... I, I, I think it was Coco. Yes, the, Coco. The, the girl's name was Coco. Where, yeah. Which is it's really funny in the Flight of the Concords meeting because it's just two people. So yeah. break up the band is like one person leaves and goes up and does their... Oh, that's it. Coco. <laughs> Coco, obviously, you know, broke up the band. Sure. It was a pretty good, uh, pretty good parody there. I miss those guys. I wish they didn't yeah. stop doing their amazing TV show to do nothing. Well, pursue separate act. But well, to be fair though, Brett, Brett is doing uh, the new Muppet he did movie. The new he Muppet, did the he's last doing one. the whole scoring and everything. Yeah, and uh, I still am a little bit on the fence though as to whether that really fits the medium because I, you know, I almost want to think that that the Muppets were suited to a more sporadic variety of of musical influences rather than the single guy. I thought the soundtrack of that movie was very good. I yeah. think he did a great job. Am I and I actually like... Muppet of a Man is a great song. I, I can acknowledge the particular things. Muppet? It's just more about the overall usage of it that I was a little bit on the fence of. Am I a You were also a lot man? more picky than like most it. of us were of that movie. I'm very picky because I love the Muppets I so love much. The Muppets and they had too. a very, very signature style. And the thing is, it's really hard once you, especially when you remove ah. both of the primary voices that drove the original, I feel like it's just nipping away at what the, the original style was. It's not going to have the same appeal to the younger generation the same. Not just when you keep the same, the same Muppet, the same, you know, Fart the same shoes. fur with, mm. a, with a fist in its ah, ass. Waka, That's waka. not the essence of the Muppet. Telling you. 
I feel like Waka movie Waka. Was I'll good. repeat that. A fur with a fist up its ass is not the essence of a Muppet. I know, I know. Anyway. It's a Muppet of a Muppet. I mean, actually, yeah. That's yes. exactly what it is. I wanted to really disagree with him there and say, yeah, it was bold, but, <laughs> but it makes no, perfect he, sense. He makes perfect sense. Context. So on that scary note, let's hop into this week's album, I filled Steve. my weekly co- quota. Yeah. Uh, Very good. Yeah. All right. This week's album. Uh... The band, first of all, As Mutantes, and the album Full Metal Jack. The band As Mutantes, I discovered this band several years back in a very old-fashioned way. I heard them in a record store and asked who they were. Actually, I think it was a comic book store. Does that ever happen anymore? No, it it does happen. Well, with me, at least. Occasionally, I go in just like, huh, I like this. What is it? He was in a comic book store? What were you doing? In a yeah, comic I book I store? I, I sometimes I first thought it was a record record store, and then I, I thought back. I think it was actually a comic book store. Probably going with my various friends who all enjoy comic books. That that's probably where it happened. And I was like, hmm, let me focus on something else. Oh, the music on the speaker. <laughs> surprise, surprise! I don't read a lot of comic books. Anywho, uh, here's the breakdown. Asputantes formed in 1966 on hiatus from 1978 to 2006, and back in the game once again. They are a Brazilian psychedelic progressive rock band, also with its roots in Tropicalia. Although, I enjoy another word used to describe them, and that's obscuro, as if that term really needs to be explained, but it's an old term that means outsider music. So apart from simply being obscure, it really banks on the abstract. It allows for just about anything from unconventional instruments to unconventional structures with a healthy dose of just plain weird. Which brings us back to the psychedelic portion. It's no secret that hallucinogenics were a notable force in music of the late 60s, and there's no shortage of artists who've come forth to admit, if I wasn't on this, then that wouldn't have been made. And having listened to most of this band's discography, even if not every song screams out drugs, there's still an aesthetic there that might trace its roots back to the culture. But apart from all that, I would never lump this band purely into psychedelic rock and call it a day. They have a very interesting set of influences, too many to name in fact, uh, on top of that, Vice Magazine described them as having as having come up with a new avant-garde style that was in- highly inspired by a new cultural anthropology, the eating of others' ideas, end quote. Now, chief among those ideas, being from Brazil, of course, there's a lot of bossa nova in their work, which, in my view, juxtaposes rather nicely to all their craziness, and that's what I fa- always found most unique about them. Finally, just some quick facts about the band. They were very heavy activists during the 60s, got into quite a few qualms with the Brazilian military, and they also have had many issues with record labels, notably with their album OAEOZ, recorded in 73, withheld from being released until 1992, off of which, by the way, is my all-time favorite song by them, a a bossa nova masterpiece called Voce Sabe. And last but not least, they've had a lot of members. I counted 23. Non-concurrently, of course. Well, obviously. A revolving door of members, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is... I, I was thinking that, you know, almost none of the originals are were still in the band. But, in fact, the, the creator, uh, Sergio Diaz, I want to say, was the, was the creator. He is still very much in, in the making. He might have been the lead singer. I'm not sure. Which might explain the rasp that we heard if it was from a slightly older man. Okay. There you are. That brings us to uh, their most recent release... Full Metal Jack, their second LP since reuniting. So we kick this album off with a song called The Dream Is Gone. Um, yeah, I want to preface this by saying I don't really like this song. 
Well, I think we're all in agreement that <laughs> it's not a very enough, good song. After all of my my well, uh, kind of my funny, holding up the band, this song was not a good start for me. The funny thing is, though, the song is called A Dream Is Gone, and it's a mediocre starting track for a band that's been around for a long time. That's ironic, isn't it? No, that's not ironic. That's just sad. The ah. initial exposition of this song does have a good interaction between uh, the bass and the guitar with a very plucky back-and-forth nature going between the two of them. Problem is, that doesn't actually evolve throughout the song. It stays very stagnant. And the whole thing kind of just takes its cues from those two instruments and, and settles. It stays very, very safe from there and actually becomes repetitive. And repetitive is not something that you would really associate with any sort of psychedelic music unless you were really trying to hit an ambient type of psychedelic yeah, especially music. considering that many psychedelic bands get bored of their ideas so within 15 20 well, seconds again, of I wanna, starting though. i want to take a, a bit of a uh, bit of a <clears throat> note off that because actually you could go either way then again if they're not bored of their ideas they're forgetting how long it's been going on yeah it's either but this is the thing this is not ambient. a very very long track my issue so it's not really a matter of like oh that was an endless spell of repetition it's more just that it was so dull by from comparison to what i remember from the previous work with, and i do want to say one uh, exception no, no, and exception. that was that floydian chorus. chorus yes oh boy that had some very interesting distortion work and really was hitting, hitting sort of the wall level, which made even the verse and bridge work around it worse, in my opinion. It did, because when you really consider how separate they are, the verse, it's almost like a Rod Stewart song. The way he sings, at least. Maybe it was just that resonance, that rasp that he has now, is sort of uh, Rod Stewart-oriented, or even like Willie Nelson or something like that. Just very kind of soothing, almost lulling. It's sad. It's kind of whiny. I mean, of course, the dream is gone. Uh, I guess that's probably the point, but the way the verse just trudges along, there's a bore factor here that unfortunately trumped my sympathy that I should be having for this this the, character. The, there was no emotional connection to this song, mostly, again, because it was so slow, and it was just very hard to connect with because you're bored before you can get anywhere with it. And for an intro track, this is a very poor choice. It's like... Well, I, I'm, that's why I'm going to say up front here, so we don't get too deep into this. I it, It's, uh... This is almost the opposite of what I've experienced previously. This is the complete opposite of everything uh, that we've had. It, like, a good song at the end of a crappy album. We have that a, had had that a lot in terms yeah. of our reviews. I think this was actually a crappy song in the beginning of a good album. Right? Instead of having the... the the cra- uh, Sorry, the good song at the end of the crappy album. This is a crappy song at the beginning of the... It is the exact antithesis in yeah. many ways. It, it, it really made me disappointed because from here it is all uphill. Um... Maybe that shouldn't make me disappointed. Maybe that should be, all right, it's uphill. But it's not like it's uphill from a stagnant place. I really don't like this first song. I think it had very little character to it. No, yeah. So it it was was uphill from no place. Yeah, it was uninventive. It was boring. It was slow. It was unengaging. It did introduce one little element, and that's the accordion. Which has also been used better in other places. But it's it also that's the one redeeming factor outside that uh, chorus. Um... It, it just shows that you're interested... In, you're getting something a little different well, I'm as also, far as mainstream goes nowadays. I'm coming from the nostalgia factor, so I also 
came in and said, well, this is not what they were. So my heart also kind of sank when I heard this first song. But luckily, it was uphill from there. And I do have to give, well, as what John said, I do have to give him some credit. The, the chorus did have some power, especially with the, the line, half the ship is wrecked, can't find a hatch to safely hide the waves. That had a very nice melodic rise just at that moment. Um, but apart from that, behold, you know, first chorus, verse chorus, very conventional for something that I just described uh, prior, a band that had its roots in, in defying the conventional. Yeah. But um, fair enough, though, this was an intro to an album so let's see where it goes from here the next song full metal jack the title track i uh, it, it was um a coin flip you got went from tails to heads here you got something really really interesting in this beginning that very very lovely bass it was I, grungy I, I enjoyed it immensely uh storm what what did you first call it i said it was Almost gross, disjointed, sleazy. It had this very kind of gross feel, the the overall emotion of the song. I eventually came to the conclusion, hearing the song, that it reminded me very much of this aqualung kind of emotional connection. The sleazy guy you want nothing to do with who's up to no good. See, in terms of uh, the theme behind that song, yes, I completely agree. Yeah. In terms of style, it went down a different route, that, that grunge, almost emo field, yeah. because this, it's very depressing, even especially when you look at the lyrics, too. But before I get into that, it's the distortion and the feedback that, and, that paints the backdrop. That's what really makes yeah. this unsettling. And, no, and the organ, more, too. There you go. Hey. That's what you gotta get. That ominous organ work, because it was... It wasn't the high, happy, praise God type of organ. This is the dirgy kind of organ. This is the slow, melodic, kind of creepy organ working here. And it just meshed with that bass beautifully to really do a great job of making you feel unclean. Yeah, and keeping with the dirge concept, let's look at these lyrics now. It's pretty graphic, and uh, also in the style that he's singing, I mean, it, it sounds like, uh, again, his rasp definitely helps with this delivery, uh, it, but it sounds like someone who's almost speaking from beyond the grave, and in fact, it's the opposite, he's about to die. So, you get the beginning, yeah, I'm gonna die, shot in the gut, my blood is everywhere, my two legs are gone, I don't feel a thing, I won't see my daddy no more, I still have to kill, my weapon is filled, the enemy's all around. It, it's, it's very, very, very graphic. It, you're, I kind of feel like I'm in his position a little bit. And of course, all this is an anti-war song, essentially. He, he is a soldier who just got shot down. I do like its interplay in the, the... The, the gra very graphic nature actually does speak, uh, speak both to the title of the song and its uh, relationship to the obvious Full Metal Jacket and what yeah. that movie actually represented. There's a lot of connectivity there. It does hit a deeper level with that. And I really like it for that. Uh, the, the, the chorus of No More War, No More War, hmm. uh, I just love the way they're start they echo off of one another. Yes. No more war, and you still have that other guy starting in. It becomes a round, and it it is a round because distorted. It's very uh, it it has a dissident vocal feel that I just really really love that kind of pleading nature to it. And if I'm not mistaken, there was a bit of an argument there. And it, yes, no more war. I think it was yes, more war. Also, as part of that the round, the way they're, they're singing they're, off of each yeah, other, yeah, which of course is the duality of any any you know two parties that are arguing over a war is just or not. And thematically, I mean, it's no... Rock is no stranger to 
a war song talking down war from the perspective of the suffering soldier. I mean, Metallica's song one is all about a soldier who has no arms, no legs, can't talk, can't see, and is still on life support, slowly dying and wants to die because of what war put him through. And this is very also very graphic and this in the same way is very much from that perspective of this suffering is why we shouldn't do this anymore or there's a lot of really gripping lines in here that that really reach out to as well um sergeant has told me has told me son if i be gone kill kill for your life or be killed oh what a fuck i'm dying now alone in nobody's land which is amazing. Like that. That speak. That makes me think of World War One right there. When yeah. people. When like six hundred and forty thousand people died over four inches of land gained in in, yeah. in the trenches. That really makes you see like the futility of it all. It. it I would even say that it har- harkens back to Goodnight Saigon, Billy Joel, which is a, one of my favorite uh, anti-war protest songs. I just. I love that song, and this really has a, a very similar gritty lyrical work as as that song i gotta give it prop for that and one other yeah, thing especially since it's, a, it's did, a long way to go for a new anti-war song yeah this one this one deals with afghanistan um no I, I, iraq is fact right oh, there in, in, in the in the chorus everything gets it it's really interesting how the transition to the chorus the chords get almost goofy and like oingo boingo like i kind of heard some danny elfman influence but you could tell because the lyrics in the chorus shaharazad is dead was shot in the skies of Baghdad. There you are. Magic Carpen is gone, crash-landed in the fire on Alibaba. It's also one of those things that with a song like this, it's so disjointed and gross and grungy feeling. It's almost like a paper chase kind of situation where you're made to feel uncomfortable intentionally. There's no way it's accidental that you're supposed to feel put off by this song. It's supposed to make you feel like... I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be in this experience. Let me out. And that was really uh, best exemplified with the, I called them evil guitar chords. The, oh, yeah. the The halting, chunky almost nature of the guitar work. And not chunky in a bad way. Chunky as in just really sharp, edgy notes. I, I love that feeling. It, and it really did a, um, a hell of a job. Of taking that lovely depressing bass uh, bass, that that uh, ominous organ, and like really just take them from disturbing and upsetting to like mean. Yeah, this um real mean. Mean at yet the same time, I I gotta go back to that word goofy because there's there's a little bit of a romp in this song, and it almost sort of makes fun of the whole entire situation. Like we're still talking about this kind of thing, and maybe this is a little bit of irony there. Right, well, but it's satire at least. That's what I'm trying to say. I'd say more satire. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely unintentional though. I think they want to make light almost to a point of not to make that the issue is light, but that. It's almost like we're the goofy ones because we're still doing this ridiculous thing, yeah. you know. Well, it's, I think it also has to do with their style. Maybe not yeah. just the uh, what they're saying, but but just how that they say it. And it's the style behind the band. They've always done everything with a little bit of a humorous touch. And it goes back to that whole psychedelic rock where anything is kind of fair game in terms of what you can use in a particular song. It's definitely, and that's a... why it reminded me of Oingo Boingo quite a bit because Oingo Boingo, Danny Elfman's former band, they relied on 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 comedy. Yeah, but it, it sort of wrote what they. But did. in this case, I think it's more of a dark comedy, like a dark humor. It's well, not... there, is, there was dark comedy there too, but that's yeah. the thing. Dark Danny Elfman also dealt in the dark, and I, yeah. I kind of have to go back to this well, in terms of an influence because, as I read in the intro here, they do eat up influences, and I, I this is made 
present day, so uh, Oinko Boinko could well be in their past. And I, I can't help but escape uh, the soundtrack that was done to uh, uh, Forbidden Zone. Uh, Oingo Boingo actually was featured. It was Danny Elfman's brother that directed the film, and the whole movie is just very, very dark. It features. It actually invokes Cab Calloway music while they're while they're being brought into hell by the devil himself, which is played by Danny Elfman. And the music, the the version that Oingo Boingo did of that particular uh, Cab Calloway track, I think it was Minnie the Moocher. The style is just almost the same as this, taking a really, really dark thing and making light of it at least in style if not in meaning right yeah um so anyway i really love this song yeah you grew up grew on you huh no uh, it's not that it grew on me this grew song, off you and therefore it, you like it it. It, it it really it kind of represents what the 1960s really did for music well, that's the thing i'm sure i mean i'm very sure that os mutantes were were very anti-Vietnam. It was relevant. Of course, they were Brazilian, you know, so they're not really more than that. But because they have their skirmishes with the military, I'm sure they have very strong views about the subject. And this album can be kind of on the nose in that regard. Uh, there's really no questioning on um, what their views are, and there's not there's not so much ambiguity there. Although you yeah. could argue that some of those lines with you know when they're invoking what the sergeant's telling him to do, that maybe there is some ambiguity, and the fact that they're yeah. arguing. Yes, more. Yes, no more war. Yes, it's more still, war. I think it's still kind of very on the nose. This is not yeah. an album that's really going to make you think in most places. There are moments, but it's, it's, it's fairly face value. In terms it's of face meaning, value, but yeah, yeah. It's it it's evoking thought, but it's not requiring you to find deeper meanings, hitting messages. Or There's no like looking for theme. Well, what I gain from this song in the end is really it's it's stylistic choices used to paint the picture, and that that's always really really gets me. It, it's it's their overall um, the overall grunge feel was just perfect for this for this uh, this framework, this story, and also the heavy distortion. Especially even over the second verse, the distortion uh, in the guitar gets a lot more gritty even than it was in the first verse. So it progressively deteriorates. Essentially, you're hearing him die over the course of the song. And at the end, it totally unravels. The drums start and then they stop while the guitar just rambles and finally fades. It's really, it's powerful in that regard. It's powerful. I mean, instrument uses. That's that's really what I. They highlight. definitely achieved the message they were looking for. Did I like the song? Likes a strong word, but I didn't dislike it. It it accomplished its goal and it unnerved me, and that was its purpose, and it accomplished that. Um, we can be on the fence about that. That's okay, as long as we uh, highlight what it served. Yes, for served. sure. Um, the third track, Piccadilly Willie, however, takes the band in a direction that I was expecting it to go based on what you had told me last week. This song feels very much classic rock, almost a Ted Nugent kind of, um, you know, romp kind of rockin' song. Um, It's got, um, and I know it comes a little later in the song, but I'm so excited that the organ comes back again, but in a completely different and wonderful way in this song. That's saying the organ prov- served as the dirge for the previous. The organ is is much more of just an instrument here. It's just yeah. straight up. I mean, it's not it's not using to paint a picture necessarily. It 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 has solos. It is an active participant. So we get uh, on a primal level. I felt exactly what you felt in the intro. Uh, it's it it's rock first and foremost. I mean, it's kind of hard to avoid the catchiness of of the intro and the attitude that's there. Yeah. Um, Especially, it starts with the chorus, which I could almost 
view it interchangeably that the that the chorus comes in in the beginning but maybe it's the verse the beginning i'm willing to say that it's the chorus in the beginning um and then it goes into the verse second which is a little bit abnormal yeah but it was something i noticed in which case the chorus is driven by a single riff and that riff really really drives the whole entire song and keeps but, it going but it's such a strong riff and i mean it's that it's that choppy guitar that really gives it that very classic rock vibe. Well, that even develops later in the track. That yeah, there's a choppiness to the guitar. I almost call it a metallic, uh, sort of metallic right. flavor metallic. to the guitar. Like yeah. you're you're reducing every vibe. You're opening it up so that you hear every vibration right there, and it comes at very tinny and and harsh, like nails against a chalkboard all, almost. But it is choppy in that regard. You, they're they're halted, each 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 uh, iteration of the single note. But that raw sound is what gives that extra attitude to that part of the song as well. It really pushes that, that feeling. Yeah. And I'm gonna be the the devil's advocate in this one, and I just am too familiar with what this song did. This one really, it really just felt a little too too classic to me. And it was coupled with that that really heavy distortion. This distortion is definitely not at the classic rock levels. It's not nearly as as it, it's it's much more heavily used. Let me let me phrase it that way. And because of that, it felt like something I already knew. It felt like a song I already heard. It didn't really give me anything different. Because even the first two tracks at least felt a little bit fresher. This one felt a little stale to me. But see, there I'm going to disagree because I think uh, the way you're the way you're defining the dis- use of distortion that's something that I don't think was really as present back in old school classic rock. But the Things way... were crisper back then, which exactly. means it makes me see this as a different style, slight like, using the framework, of course. But it it adds its own touch that I can't call it anything but original. Well, I, I it's almost to me it's almost like they took a plain old 1960s classic rock song and replayed it reinvented it but didn't oh. actually make something new so now there this, i just disagree entirely this, 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 I don't, I don't first feel, of all it's not a 60s i don't even sound. think this added yeah it's not a 60s it's not, style it's, at all. it's more 70s leaning 80s i mean it's got yes. that ted new like i said i compared it to ted, ted nugent. nugent is not a bad comparison because he, he was tail end of 70s very heavy 80s very in-your-face rock, cocky rock, cock rock, if you will. It was, but yeah. seriously, it was it was very much a boasty rock sound, and that's this song to a T. Absolutely, I just I don't see that that sameness. I'll push it into seventies uh, for another reason too. Maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe I'm in a, I'm in a Muppet mood today. But uh, Doctor Teeth and Electric Mayhem. Oh sure, This yeah. struck me. It's it's to like paint a picture that you find. Yeah. Uh, um, in the original film, yeah, as they're painting the bus, yeah, it, it had almost the same exact uh, attitude as that as that song. Well, same I'm... same tone, sort of. It's in that that era. But from 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 what I was listening, from my point of view, this that instead of adding to it, the, the, the distortion was a distraction. Instead of really enjoying that organ, it felt kind of disconnected from the rest of it because it was tonally very different from what was going on in the background well even it didn't i feel like solo so much as slapped on layer to me oh no and i just could yeah. not get into it it feels like a song i know that was wounded that was broken in some way eh. i just can't get on board with this song it doesn't keep me 
engaged as even the previous two tracks. Then I, I mean, then that's just all it's coming down to is taste because that's, I have no that, way. What, this isn't this isn't one that I'm gonna say the, musically. They're still very very up, uh, bringing up their snuff. This is still better musically. It's evolving into more complicated, be, more craftsmanship. I just really didn't feel anything on this one because I can't ah. even begin to say that this is worse than the first track. There's no way. It's just not possible. I think it's as I said in the very beginning. It's been uphill from the first track on. Yeah. This song uh, is 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 definitely a much stronger competitor for for you know what these guys are capable of. There's any number of nuances I could point out in this song. I mean, just in terms of they uh, the opening. The opening chorus, they say you love me today, they say you love me no more, and then that ha ha ha, that the laughing that yeah. decays chromatically, that's a, that's such a creative use of that um of that sound bite. Uh and then also you find during the verses you find that like there's a single guitar note that sort of hovers above everything else that punctuates it rather nicely throughout the course of the track. That's something else. I don't hear that too too often. It's it, it's a little nuances like they, I think that really take it out of its era. I think take it into a more modern, perhaps more structured, more well thought thought out track. That's why I, I just framework. I see the classic rock element, but in a more more general sense, it's just rock. Well, and I also see that, like, well, while I could see the pieces might be something that's been done before it's the way they were brought together in this track that makes it unique that i heard much clearer on a second listen um that's actually a good explanation for uh uh, what what it seems to be coming so far in the beginning part of this album they really do a great job of being a chameleon of pretending to be one type of music well, that's the thing. They've been doing it for 40 years. So, Even in the 60s, they were borrowing genres right and left. So you'd think they've kind of had their knack by now. Uh, granted, there was a hiatus there, but I'm sure they didn't stop playing in the interim. It, it They're just they're kind of pros at it at this point. This, I don't get that sense that, you know, we come across a lot of albums where people are trying to experiment. Sometimes they succeed. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they barely succeed. Like Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Where's the thing? Yeah, Paul McCartney, a lot of artists try to to dip around in several genres, and it's just sometimes you're better off pursuing your own niche, and yet these guys' niche has it's, always been everything. That's what they do. And that's a great explanation for Ganja Man. So the, tra- the fourth track is just that, dipping into different genres. Just before you jump ahead here, we do have a transition between these two songs, and it's worth noting because it's something we get a little bit later. It adds an element to this tr- uh, to this album. It's a sitar solo, That's essentially. Right. Yes, I had forgotten Not that. Not a that solo was, yeah. so much, but more used as an ambient drone. It was just it was more sitar outro, I'd say, than a solo. Yeah, and it's an outro slash transition. I think yeah. it serves to. I don't. I don't think it would have mattered necessarily if you put this at the end of Piccadilly Willy or, or at the beginning of Ganja beginning Man. Of Ganja Man, yeah. It but could have been in either place. What, what, Where's what, that woman who echoes Brazil? There, Brazil? there is, Brazil? there is one thing. This song, that that this piece, would have been done as a separate song by modern day standards. Yet, this is what they used to do. Your standard record would have done exactly this. You mean added a random instrument and thrown? It no, in no. Use put an interlude at the end of a song instead of as a separate piece. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Then that that is that's definitely indicative of early rock. Um, or classic rock. 
I can go a couple ways with Ganja Man. On one hand, it's a very standard reggae song. I don't think they're really doing anything particularly crazy, at least at the outset. They're not doing anything particularly crazy with they, the reggae They got rid genre. of the metal drums, and they're using a more classic style drums, which does actually change the, 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 the style itself. Just by doing that, you do get a very different sound from it. Yeah, but initially with the vocals, it reminded me very much of a Bob Marley-style song. At least vocally, the way he was singing and and the, the the chorus, the way it was kind of... I mean, maybe that was the goal, but yeah, I think reggae, period, was the goal. I think a much more general form of reggae was... Probably, yeah. It, and just, but you, at least in the, in, the opening, um, in the opening chorus, you just get that sort of C major, F major... Uh, it's a very happy, uplifting, which yeah. is what reggae is at its at its soul. Pretty much, just, yeah. Everybody chilling around. It just... is the definition of easygoing. Exactly. Um, it does move certain places, though. When you get to the verse, okay, it's still pretty basic, although it does have a very strong bass to it. Um, we start going from the... from uh, the, We go to the relative minor we hear. We're in the A minor. And then we go to the seven chord. It just rocks back and forth between A minor and G major. And this is something to with... talk about lyrics here. If you want to chime in first, I want to chime in first. Yes, I do enjoy the sporadic uh, single note guitar work that they're throwing throughout all this. It has a nice, nice extra layer of texture that you don't get with a lot of reggae style. They don't use uh, guitars that way. Um, not not often enough for my taste. I don't fair. know. That wasn't uh, that really didn't stand out for me. I remember what you're talking about, but that, to me that that did to me fit, that, that actually fit very very easily with reggae. That was nothing out of the no field. no. To me, it was a little bit different, a little more stated than what I would normally expect. Huh. All right, maybe that's a taste thing too. I I still think the intro is pretty basic from a music standpoint. It's just all right. Aspitantes is doing reggae now. From a lyrical standpoint, this is strange. Thomas Jefferson will raise from the dead for a new revolution. The Kennedys will come back to us out of their deadly reclusion, marching down with Luther, with Luther the King across Pennsylvania Avenue. I believe it's a fable of some kind, where you take all the, this amalgam of, of, of uh, major players in, in American history or world history at large, and they're all coming back to do what they did best during life. It's a kind of interesting idea. Um, I suppose a reggae backdrop is pretty useful setting for it because it's very much, you know, kind of grab hands and sing kumbaya sort of thing. Or, it well, it's got that steady beat that can be used to march to. Maybe march to quite loosely, but there's still movement involved with it, a progression involved with it. Uh, that Well, really... there is a progression. And that that's that's, that's that's what I'm gonna get to is my the, favorite part. The, the bridge. Whole song. The bridge. With the space bridge to awesome. <laughs> yes, your quirky it's, terminology for it. It's it, not it's literally the bridge, first of all, takes us right out of its element. It reels in the classic rock element. It reels it right back. Because we've been in reggae here, and then all of a sudden that guitar enters. Once the guitar enters here, at this particular moment, it swoons. It really yeah. sings along. It, it it provides a melody where there really was none. We've really just had rhythms and, you know, just kind of swooning. Gajaman, 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 you get okay, I get the idea. And then here it takes on soul. It I becomes kind of space rock. A little and bit. That's, that's yeah, really... it definitely has a more vast and spacey yeah. feel. Which is awesome, moment. because I think Jamaica should have a space program, because that would be out of this world. But um, <laughs> um But the combination of that really steady uh, uh, beat with that 
uplifting, just pure uplifting. You're already going happy, but just rising guitar work really does something different and does something special. Yeah. I mean, even from a chordal standpoint, this is a very, very interesting bridge. I mean, cr bridges are always supposed to do something sort of interesting. Uh, but maybe it was just refreshing considering we came from such a safe, uh, a safe versing chorus. Um, again, I'm not generalizing anything about reggae, but reggae really is not trying to be out of the box. There's a lot of reggae that I've heard which is just very comfortable being in its niche, and I think this song at least was uh, no different. And then when we get this bridge, it, it's a sudden shift, and I think any sudden shift is worth noting, because first of all, we move up to D minor, we go back, we go into A minor, and then we switch to this sort of, I, I want to say it was actually, I believe it was a G minor 7, I'm not positive about that, but at that particular moment, that, ha that serves a very interesting role, because the 7 chord in here, where everyone just joins together to sing Freedom, and if it's, a it's a choir, actually, it steps in there to say that, so it almost... Even that in itself provides soul to the existing verse. So, freedom of some kind. It sort of combines all those different things. Okay, Thomas Jefferson, Martin Luther King, the Kennedys, for whatever have you. Now, it boils down to freedom. So that's, that's the point of the song. Again, soul. A point. That's all I'm looking for here, and I guess it provided me that at this point. Otherwise, I might have passed on this song. It might have been fairly, fairly average. But, awesome bridge. <laughs> so well yeah they did something a little different within a song that could have been repetitive but it's what made it stand out and they do that a lot on this record they take something that they take pieces that on their own might have been very run-of-the-mill or standard but combine them in a way that makes it stand out and gets your attention and this song definitely did that and the second time they bring back the bridge it was even more sexier than the first just noted that the whole guitar and basic reggae rhythm, they, they, they blended a little bit more together. Yeah. yeah, they let them go. They let them off their la yeah. uh, leashes even further there. Yeah. Because they, that's the whole thing. Neither piece really goes full the genre it represents. It still has a little bit of a backpedal to keep it from being just a true reggae piece or a true bass rock guitar. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is that this is not really trying to do very much in terms of verse work. I think verse 2 actually just repeats the exact same lyrics yes, of verse 1. Yes. It's really just a reiteration. This one was about the instrumentation, not the lyrics, clearly. Uh, oh, no, no, no. It was about the message, the short, sweet, to the point, repeti uh, repetitive message. Yeah, freedom, universal, you know, <laughs> everyone should be free. There you go. Okay. That's it. It wasn't complex. Yeah. And also, I, I, if it's about anything from a musical standpoint, I really just have to highlight the bridge. The more I mold this over in my head, that was really the one thing that really grabbed, grabbed me in this particular track. Because even then, I think it was kind of a poor transition back to C major uh, when it goes back to the chorus, back to the whole Ganjaman, Ganjaman. It was so sudden. It kind of yanked me right out of that space rock and just threw me right back into very standard reggae. A little sudden for my tastes. So, meh. Probably could have done a little bit better with this track. Either way, I'm not hating. It was a good idea. On that note, let's go to track five. Look out. So this was another track that also started in a very rock, very, very rooted in a rock sound. Um, almost a very, the guitar chords very much reminded me in the beginning of Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog. It had that, you know, very heavy guitar sound that pulls you right in. And the tempo reminded me of war pigs with the whole t -t 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 
kind of a tapping, really, really restarty style of instrumentation. That. Yeah. That that it was it's that hold your breath kind of a moment while he's singing the lyrics. You you know something's gonna happen when that verse ends. However, the song very quickly does something decidedly not typical for rock and roll. There's this Native American chanting that comes in after the first time the verses sound that kind of threw me the first time. I kind of did an audio double take since you can't really do a physical... Well, I guess you could do a physical double take at your computer or speakers. But I did an audio double take. I kind of went, what? Wait, what was that? Wait, and then it came around again. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's different. I mean, yeah, I would say, even with my experience with this band, that I wasn't shocked, but even I was shocked. Because it's not, you know, I, it there's almost a, native, seems there's a native, native American, he just steps in there just to go, hey, uh, hey uh, you know, very, it, it is campy in a way, but I kind of liked how it was used. Because this track was much more, uh, this was even a simpler message, and a much more, um, much more lively, less lofty, more lively. And that was just, um... Stay out of my way. Stay out of my way. No one will ever stand between my dreams and what I want for my future. And it was so uplifting that yeah. I almost accepted whatever they threw in here because the song had motion. It had a lot of motion to it. I wanted to just get up there and dance with this. Right, but if as if the, uh, the Native American chanting wasn't enough, then in the chorus work, we got... What Steve kept calling the chipmunks, which was a vocal manipulation at a very high pitch. And it was it made it seem even campier, but still added to that uplifting feel. It really did seem like a rock track for some kind of kids show. It was strange. And yeah, the chipmunks step in to say, look out, don't let go. It was very weird. Um, but yet it all just sort of jived together. I actually had an experience where I, I had to keep re-listening to this track to make sure I actually heard things correctly. Um, this track had a very much a uh, uh, pump you up kind of a feel. Obviously. It did. Especially, even just going earlier here. First of all, in the very beginning, you have that, there's a lot of percussion in the, in the uh, a lot of texture in the percussion going on. And it's on. very, it's and that's probably why you got the War Pigs feel. It's, it's also because of that repetitive nature to it because it was done in such a short time frame. The timestamp on it had to be in, measured in parts of seconds at points and it, became very very much a replaying yeah and a replaying and a replaying and because of that it kept becoming becoming an intake without any exhaling for that emotion that was being built up in it that's that's really where i got that con uh, that connotation to war pigs yeah that i mean he which was, was just so good that it's like i he love he crammed so many notes in a certain in a certain moment there even just that that line nobody ever stand between my dreams and what i want for my future and he holds that yeah. note out it's very it's 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 lively um and actually pretty impressive from a vocal standpoint because of the way he he contorts those lyrics to fit the rhythm perfectly and it feels more like the lyrics are guiding the rhythm rather than the rhythm guiding the lyrics, and that's what was kind of cool about it. Yeah, so. and and that moment is when you really get a sense of his singing, because before that, he's not a bad singer, but he wasn't doing anything really revolutionary either with his singing. But this is the first moment you get a sense of, oh, this guy has some chops. Yeah. Which is good, because, I mean, as far as the rest of the singing was going, it wasn't anything unbelievable. I, I, you know, honestly, in this track, I, I was, I was undoubtedly impressed. 
I there was a I'll have my way. You better let it go. And he holds that note again. Yeah. It's it. There's a lot of attitude in here, and I think attitude is one of those things you, you can't overlook in terms of skill. Not everybody can pull it off. You can have a great sure. voice and everything if you just don't have the emotion behind it. It's clear that that he puts a lot of emotion behind almost everything in his album, regardless of of theme or wherever he's uh whatever he's choosing to deliver at that particular moment. Right. Granted, a lot of this stuff does harken back to that. Uh, protest movement stuff um which in its way was also pretty uplifting you know empower the little man yeah but this is also this how he sings is very much what i come to expect in this sort of music and in rock music music in general a very very good way of of presenting his ideas it's just great to hear him how he's singing but the only other song where I really was caring about what he's singing up until this point was Full Metal Jack. This is this is where I'm actually starting to really delve and listen to what the words instead of just getting the emotions from the words. I really am enjoying what he's saying in this song. It's a little bit more colorful. Um, in Full Metal Jack or Look Out? In Look Out. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one, definitely one of those ideas that anyone can relate to. Um... You know, but you start talking about the future, and it's kind of, it's it's hard to really look away and be like, I'm just not on board with this. Of course, you're on board with this. If you care about your future, you're probably gonna be on board with this. You have to have a heart of, of stone not to. Um, so yeah, I found it to be a very rousing song, and on top of that, there's a really really amazing collective solo here to close it out. Mm-hmm. It's great funky keyboard. Uh, the organ starts copping overhead again. Again, guitars. we get a return of that metal metallic sort of choppy guitar, the same exact uh, that we got in the previous song. Um, it's sort of a trading of textures all throughout. I, this, I, I really thought it was impressive. But the guitar in this song even took that choppiness and metallicness to. Uh, a next level like I really got a sense of what you were trying to describe there were certain moments that got so distorted it almost sounded like a screaming Dalek if you're a fan of Doctor Who yeah. and sci-fi this computerized sound that the Daleks have when they attack yeah. and when they say exterminate the guitar almost mimicked that audio quality which was really a neat effect this is this is not a sign when you struggle to describe what a certain sound is it means something new has definitely been achieved look at all the words we're throwing around to try and get the single excite i mean hopefully one of these is reaching through to the audience but of course you got choppy you got metallic you've got dalek sounding i mean it's it's it is a very unique sound. I yeah. think this is this is where they show their colors in terms of composition by using instruments in a very very unique way. So, let's move to the next. You you discovery. So, do we know what language this title is? This is Portuguese. 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 So They're Brazilian, of course. This is where they continue to spin on their heels and dive headfirst into another genre. But this... that's the thing. This is the genre they are much more familiar and comfortable with. If you could perhaps pigeonhole them into something that they do have background knowledge and excel aside from the various things in which they've accumulated throughout their entire career, Bossa Nova really is at the heart of Brazilian music. It was it's it's original to the country. It nothing almost nothing else like it exists where else in the world. And yet there was something here that was added to it, and I found a little bit of Indian traditional. And I'm not talking about Native American traditional, I do mean India at this point. Because we get 
a percussion sound here that's so unique, mostly because it's pitch percussion. The effect is almost similar to uh, tablas, the Indian uh, percussion instrument, which does change pitch when you slide your finger across. So there's a very similar resonance there to that, but I also don't want to rule out that there could be a plucked instrument that's going along with it in addition. It's actually kind of hard to tell because it's such a fixed role, and the phrasing of it is so crisp, it actually plays tricks in you, kind of like sounds bouncing off a wall. But I want to guess that maybe there's a cello plucking along with it, because cello is used later in the verse as an accompaniment, bowed in that instance. And uh, this this song was probably the hardest one for me to describe, because I'm going to use like 13 or 14 different songs to do it. It, it had a um, and an introductory build straight out of White Rabbit. It uses deep, distorted Beatles cello work. It uses Jethro Tell pan fluting. It's got uh, uh, a ton of Latin guitar work interspersed in a lot of the bridges and choruses. It's got a sitar towards the end and techno in the whole mixing. There's there's deep electronica tones. It That's is an, right. an, an, an amalgamation of music. So you this just so- summed it up for uh, pretty much what you're going to be getting, but I still think all of that uh, serves to deliver bossa nova. It's a very unique uh, rendition of that, that time-tested style. But this bossa nova sound is, in my opinion, the first time they truly sound unique. They've had unique moments throughout the album, but this song is just so unlike anything I had heard before. I also am not a very experienced bossa nova listener but i'm still willing to bet that this is unique even for that you know what the most famous bossa nova song is girl from ipanema really that is the most famous bossa nova song that that reached the states for sure well then i'm definitely sticking by what i say that this song is um a a unique song even for the genre it just its sound is so specific in a non-specific way if that makes sense yeah bossa nova is a rhythm it's a type of rhythm on which uh on which lots of jazz instrumentalists have just jumped on top of and sort of done their own thing with so it is very very flexible um but definitely those brazilians still rock it better than a lot others you know they just it's it's in their blood who knows but uh, yeah i um i am gonna agree with you in terms of the album especially Uh, you know, and if for a bossa nova aficionado out there, who knows? I mean, this could be right in right in the niche. But again, it's 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 a loose genre. You can do a lot with it, and I still think it, this this steps out of the box with that. But it, what's more important here in this particular moment is that it steps out of the box in this album. The album, which has thus far been some fairly familiar classic rock, this 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 is what I want. This is yeah. really what I want out of this album, and in fact, this is what I always loved out of their previous work, such as Voce Sabe, the track yeah. I mentioned off of OAEOZ. It's it's a little disappointing that we have to wait till track six to get it, but that said, it's not like the previous tracks weren't unwelcome. Just this is this was definitely something more unique that grabbed my attention for sure. I know yeah. I always appreciate not being introduced to something the the best of the album in the get go. I don't. I don't want to hear the best song to begin with. That's true. I'd like to build up to it, and I think this would have definitely been less impactful if I was starting with this bossa nova amalgamation fusion monstrosity. Um, it it probably would have gone over my head quite a bit more, and I don't think I would have enjoyed it to the same extent. It did really. Uh 
the fact that it occurred here in smack dab in the middle as a climax i think um i think really promoted it uh so yeah I, so far i'm pretty satisfied with the album uh with the album arc if you if you simply scratch the very first track which i think was very misrepresentative of this record so i apologize to, uh, to the band if we seemed we were um smacking on it right from the beginning but i think i think it was a poor intro in either case there's another thing we should mention about this no one has mentioned the female vocalist right probably the most important feature about this you're not getting the main singer in this album um which i assume again assume is sergio diaz not positive either way this female vocalist that's enough right there to just send you into another land because her voice it's very sensual it's very it, for also all again since it's all sung in Portu portuguese it keeps it kind of mysterious to the american listener we're not exactly sure what all the lyrics are um uh you could only pick up like little things here and there like nove cristo new christ or whatnot so there's probably some religious in um uh allusions but the natural lilts and curls of the Portuguese language, which obviously are normal to Portuguese, they keep me very allured and curious, which makes this just the perfect middle point track. Um, and then at the chorus, that's really where the song just took off, because it becomes even weirder for the sake of the within the within the arc of the song. The acoustic guitar jo uh, joins in. The mixing is spectacular. To listen to this on headphones, the way uh, I, I believe there were two guitars. Um, combine that with the techno that John described, which isn't really techno. It's really just a, it's an a, electronica, uh, beat. It's a, it's almost just a painting, like a, like a, just a tasteful backdrop to the chorus. Yeah. It's, I, it's I thought not it was techno. It's just a beat machine. It's a beat machine, but it's, but it's so unique. Because and it's, it's very pro it's, I'm going to use that word that you don't like, but it's very properly used <laughs> Proper. it does it doesn't Proper. what does it mean well no it's taking a very much an electronic noise and not allowing it to influence this very uh classic and very natural feel that they have going well i i should uh heed my own advice here because certain words are just not uh not apt to describe this song unique what does that mean unique it it's it's very impressionist, to be honest. I'm I'm gonna use that word to describe this song because it's it's ineffable. I can't exactly describe where I am. You could kind of go down the the road of well, space rock for techno. You know, when you hear that electronic whirring in the background, which is a pretty good way to describe it, I think it you almost feel like you're off the planet, like you're gliding across the the cosmos or something like that. And it also, because of that whirring, that sort of cyclical fashion uh, to that electronica backbeat, it almost seems to stand still and glide along simultaneously, like almost like a stop-motion film. So, needless to say, this was a very visceral track for me. Uh, one thing to say above and beyond anything else is that it was gorgeous, and definitely something that engages you from the moment it starts. Yeah. And again... From an instrumental standpoint, almost every use of their instrument... Actually, John made this comment early before. It's like they took every awesome instrument that exists out there and just crammed them into one song, which is kind of true. Because as I go I down the list of instruments present in the song, it's like, I'm a sucker for that one. I'm a sucker for that one. I'm a well, sucker for that one. Well, and even though I'm not always into uh, a bits of electronica and techno, I sure as hell am into this variety. Yeah, it's it's something I don't think I've ever really heard a sitar and a flute used together before. Uh, it's, Actually, I believe I have. 
it's it's interesting to couple that with a Latin guitar style and a cello and then just making all of it work well is just that's hard. This the, is this the, is almost not a song timbre. to dissect. This is this is just the expertly is composed. Just, the, the timbre is just so dis, disjointed between those instruments that you don't usually put them together. Yeah, you wouldn't think that it would work. Exactly. And yet, and yet they blend so well that it creates a, an aesthetic unto itself. So, needless to say. And they're all well played, too. That's the whole thing. They're not boring. None, none of them are boring. And they all get to showcase themselves. Yeah, That's even the other if one thing. isn't necessarily complex, like one might just be simple. Yo, you got that little flute transition. Not oh. a difficult flute part, but it's yeah, just like, so ah, pretty. I'm being brought into so the pretty. new to the new verse. Ah, oh. thank you, thank you for using it. That's what I want to say. Yes, thank you for delivering this song to my life. Anyway, um, that's you, Discovery. Seven. Time, say about this too. Time and space. Time and space. So, first of all, we discussed this before in the beginning of the song. You Titling something time and space is leading to large expectations. I mean, you really can't get it's any on, more vast than time and space. It's yes. audacious. They didn't even just stick with one or the other. They went for both. That yeah. is the time-space continuum, as you hear in so many science fiction stories. And I, I think... I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand by this statement because I wrote it down and even listened to the rest of the album. I think this is probably where I will say they have the most classic vocals here. The most reminiscent of, of, of 60s, maybe even 50s vocal work here. Just like the beginning of rock and roll. Not 50s, but I do say 60s. Um, I, I can't it, quite say the beginning, but I do think that the second rock really like kind of took that extra step into something with a bit more attitude rather than uh, high school dance music. I think that's that's the vocals I would probably use to describe and it. And this this was that full fledged, that was it was the representation of the classic. Well, and I also don't think it's any coincidence that a song called "Time and Space," the lead singer takes this kind of droney David Bowie esque sounding song with like uh, singing yeah, I hear, style I hear David Bowie but I feel like maybe you're going to that just because of Major Tom and Major Tom is his quintessential space oriented song that's where people connect David Bowie with space is based on that single song and um uh, I think I kind of get that based on this and I maybe based on their other vocal styles styles as well but in terms of a general outline of this genre here, I think this kind of returns a little bit to the grungy bass work that you find back in Full Metal Jack. Perhaps not used to the same evil edge, but it's a similar, it's a similar style of bass work, which I think is a, is a pretty, um, pretty interesting thing to note throughout this album. Their bass work is 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 something uh, separate from just plain old classic rock. It that their bass work is signifiably Aspitantes. And it's coupled with uh, some heavy drum beats, and the guitar becomes a riff guitar, becomes a rhythm guitar, and plays back uh, background, plays second fiddle to the bass work. Yes. And the framework, I was getting vibes of a lot of psychedelic and uh, a psychedelic southern rock in this, but it was that flip that I found very interesting because in psychedelic you really get that very light, touchy, up in your face guitar work. And that was the bass's job, and I really, really, really enjoyed it. It was familiar, yet still had that mysterious slant to it, that that dissident slant to it. Yeah. That 
that made it very fresh in its styles. Well, uh, here I'm going to go into a little bit here because this is such a simple and yet brilliant compositional structure. The whole entire thing is in G major, but it begins by rapidly arpeggiating the other chords, like the four chord, the five chord, the six chord, four, five, six, four, five, six, four, five, four, one, six, one. Although it's just fleetingly passes one. It's not emphasized. And then it closed by hinging on the secondary dominant, this 5 over 5 chord, which which serves as a pretty good transition. And two, I, I'm going to try to merge the lyrics here before I go into the next phase, because the lyrics reached me immediately, and that's tough for me to go, like, we're almost, sa- almost simultaneously the music is reaching me at the same level as the lyrics are, but you cannot get any more profound than this, in my opinion, or at least any more lofty. Lose everything that you see, all of your fears, Vibrations of electrons circulating around, atomic dreams, and everything that you do, all of your tears, we create realities to believe in such a thing as time and space. Time and space. That, that, that sums it up. That sums up just about everything there is to sum up in, in existence and the universe. They, they do approach the concept of time and space very well. I mean, even from the verses to the angelic-sounding... Cl- Courses. The courses were almost otherworldly, and that's not the courses. I think you're talking about. That's the bridges, which were really, really beautiful. Come with me. This is the war. Follow me. The human oh, race. Me. No, come and come with me. This is the way. Follow oh, right. me. The human race. Whether or not, not we, we live, live or, or die. die. Uh, there was it's something. Yeah, but we, it's no, tough because there's no lyrics. Not, up wait, wait, wait. There. Whether or not we live or die, knowing that it's all a lie. There we go. It took a while That's to get that bridge, out. But... And that is trippy. Well, here's the thing. Now, trippy. Let me just, I know we're going a little bit sporadic here, but let me just jump around back to compositional structure. Because in the process of getting there, you know, they go back to the chorus. The chorus is essentially just the mantra. After the first line that I read, you go to the chorus, it's just the mantra. Time and space, time and space, time and space. You know, as if they just need to sort of get that in their heads. That's pretty much everything. And then, once they go to the bridge, that gorgeous, mystifying bridge, come with me, this is the way, follow me, the human race. Like, that that part, the song just arrests itself and and enters the cosmos in a, same, a similar way that you Discobree did, although perhaps not as on the nose in that track, this is very on the nose, because this is obviously time and space. That's just about everything having to do with the cosmos. And the compos- the structure there is that it finally, finally returns to the one. So after all that 456, 456, 456 going on all the other chords, then finally you return to that one one chord. And it happens on the bridge of all places, so late in the game that the relief just rushes over you. And of all of all one chords, it's a one seven, so it's got that twang of intrigue to it. It's home, and yet it's new and intriguing at the same time. Hence the revelation and that whole that call of theirs: "Come with me. This is the way." It's 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 a science fiction novel, or so, novelette. So so Steve, because you're getting a little intense right here, I yes. I'm imagining you enjoyed that. And you I enjoyed did. this song. I did not just enjoy the song, I enjoyed the pair. Okay, I must say, listeners... You Discovery and this track. Listeners, he's getting really intense with his gesticulation right here. <laughs> Do I need to describe that? They can, they can infer. They can infer. <laughs> anyway. And I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page with you. Yeah. This this climax is an amazing aspect of this album. It It's hitting some... 
really, really interesting uh, genre crossovers, really interesting usage of instrumentation with some really, really, really... I, I guess the only way to say is just knowledge of music here. Well, it's just not, you know, as, as I said in the beginning, it's a simple and yet brilliant compositional structure. This is not the same deal as, like, it needed a, a, um, a, a, what, how to put it, a composer who's, you know, been around the block a few times in order to do this, or with intense musical knowledge. This is, it's, it's simple, it's an artistic choice, artistic choice, just to delay that, that, um, that fall of the bridge for so long and again con- keeping in in with the theme of of the track time and space that's that's why it gets me so much the knowledge isn't the word it's experience this is this this is something that could only happen from someone who's been it knows how to hit its peak. in it it knows it, how to peak it became a natural yeah. kind of composition the 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 album may not have known how to begin but it knew how to peak and well, I'll, I'll, just, so I'll get back to this in my wrap-up. I do want to say one more thing about this track here, because it's something to note. The instrumental. The final instrumental of this track is uh, pretty pretty intense in of itself, but it's a little bit less um, lofty, perhaps, because it's kind of just this clapping and guitar. Very Brazilian. Kind of like you discovery, you get the same Brazilian touch. Uh, very danceable. Probably makes you want to go out there and have a night of hippie love and pleasure and all that stuff. Um... It's uh, it's catchy, but again, from that, from that Brazilian standpoint, not catchy and like pop. Right, six seven is undeniably a one-two punch on this record. I mean, everything was building to this, and it really is a very strong focal point in the middle of this record. And they are paired very well together. If you were to separate them, it just wouldn't have had the same powerful and beautiful, profound effect if they had come at different points in the record or separately. Right. Um. So yeah, let's move on here. Track 8, To Make It Beautiful. This takes a little bit of a different turn. Yeah, this is where, unfortunately, we hit a little bit of a lull in the middle of the record. Um, And by no means was it bad per se. It's just, they started defaulting back to, I think, a more cliche cliche sound. Something I had heard before. Not something new and fresh like we had been getting so used to with the last couple of tracks. This gets a little campy. Um, uh, you can almost be, the, the lyrics become somewhat predictable. Uh, the whole song feels, it, it's very sweet, but it's, it's a little bit too simple after what we just got. It, I feel like I've heard it before. It, it, to me, this was, this was a dessert of just chocolate cake. No, no creme brulee, no random things that you order only at expensive restaurants. <laughs> This is apple pie. I mean, this is something that you kind of expect. Yeah, to, um... Because here's the thing. I really wanted to like this track, because it still is well done. And just to put it in perspective of the previous, in many ways, this is probably more complex musically. And yet, just the whole phrasing of it is is not as... It does not pack that punch. Then again, how can you possibly follow up a track called Time and Space? So I want to give it some leeway. But going back to what John's saying, the apple pie here... Apple some li- some lyrics for you. Well, some so some lyrics to, to help to convey what this apple pie is. Touching your hand is not enough to me. A single kiss will never do. I need a perpetual change inside of us. I need the oldest way to feel so good, so fine, and thus complete. That is sweet. Really, really sweet. Kind of beautiful. If you're just talking about, like, all right, you know, guy and girl get together, and you know, that's it. That's it. Okay. Off go. you go. It's any couple, though. It's one person speaking to another. There's nothing that really speaks as a unique 
from the heart. I mean, it's it's complicated. The whole thing is complicated, but anybody can. Well, can, it's complicated, but it, be it strikes me as work. a complicated but very much copycatted at the same time because there's any number of 70s ballads that I swear used some of the same exact progressions as this. So unfortunately, I'm not able to feel the same uh the same the same punch like when they switch from verse to chorus or when they return at the end to that ooh la la right after that they go into this ooh la la section right this is that slight modulation right in there which is so indicative of what you'd find in so many 70s ballads that's um that's just uh, that's the facts (laughs) yeah they just weren't i mean and again it by no means was bad they're just not going to that next level with this song they were doing a sweet love song and that's all it is it wasn't more it wasn't less it was very face value i mean actually i understand uh maybe from an artistic point as to why you would follow up a track called time and space with a very simple love song because in many ways it does kind of reduce everything to the barest components like well you know in the face of someone's vastness and and existential uh reality well what do we have what do we have to look at simple basic love so right. i do actually understand it from that compact uh from that perspective no um, yeah maybe th- maybe this was a necessarily a necessary step down because it did still get stuck in my head after a while no and and i mean this love this sweet beautiful love i mean when you're dealing with cr- almost the crushing horror of time and space and how powerful and terrifying that can be and beautiful because i think actually that song was more concerned with the beauty of oh, time well, and space of course but still time terror. and space itself is just yeah. so overwhelming settling into something beautiful simple and lovely in front of you i mean i mean that's what everybody wants everyone wants yeah. love and to be loved and to move in that direction actually makes a lot of sense emotionally yeah. especially for an emotional arc yeah, and it, and yet, if you boil it down to its basic components, this is still your good old fashioned "I want to get in your pants" kind of song. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's just there's that in the end. I need the oldest way to feel so good, so fine, so complete. That like that's it. That's it right there. Yeah. It is a sweet way of saying it, though. There is some very nice lyrics all over this. It can be campy. It can be a little much at times. Uh, in fact, that line didn't so much bother me as as perhaps the earlier one. I need us to create love tonight, my love. Like, you know, that's it, that's kind of campy to yeah. create love. It, but it's, what can I say? It's it's hippie talk. You know, it still works in certain circles. Speaking of hippie talk, track nine, Once Upon a Flight. Oh, I don't know if I appreciate that transition there because I wouldn't define Once Upon a Flight so much as hippie. At least not in terms of the general subculture. Wasn't make, done making my the, direct connection all right, fin- all right finish because finish. what i was going to say before you interrupted me was speaking of hippie talk and drugs there's no more drug-addled song or a song that was probably influenced and or about drugs than once upon a flight well that's probably true this this was a I, series I, I hesitate to lump that with hippies this was a <laughs> series this is this is psychedelic rock to a t a series of 15 seconds of awesomeness, followed by 15 more seconds of awesomeness, followed by 15 more seconds of awesome. Now, that's great, because you're getting amazing things. Rapid guitar works that are just astounding. Pipe solos. Upright bass solos. Wah-wah guitar solos. There's a little bit of everything in here. Problem for me, it's very, very rapid, and at times feels a little bit too rapid. 
I wanted to mull over some of these really, really technically astounding pieces for a little bit longer. You know, I, I, I was almost on the verge of seeing it in the same way that you did, but uh, just, to, just to go back to you, Matt, here, there's no hippie hopped up on drugs enough that um, that I think they could ever deliver this this kind of complexity in their in their coherent mind i don't think they would have a mind coherent enough perhaps to go through with this so i was a little bit on the fringe this is there's a part of this that is very much for the benefit of mr kite you know especially when you go from that a section to the b section because once you get the a all right it's very catchy intro very really catchy song again it's another one of those always in motion kind of tracks you get this riff with a lot of color a lot of texture a lot of everything and then you get sort of a strange transition there, and I think that might might have been where it threw you, John, because in the B section we get this circusy romp, which is really like for a benefit of Mr. Kite. Only instead you get this almost sounds like a Russian dude stepping in there to um, tell his tale. Again, it's it's hard to really uh, pigeonhole the song as to like what it's trying to say, but you can assume that whole "Once Upon a Flight" is an exploration of of the trip, the trip that one experiences on drugs and yet it's just it's it's so complex it's it is organized in my opinion it's not necessarily sporadic um as as, as john might believe it is i don't think it's sporadic i just think it's a little too rapid i would i wanted a little more time to appreciate everything that they were doing to me they're a little bit too hyped up and trying to rush out all these ideas We've said a lot I in the past. That way. We've said a lot in the past that there are songs that seem to move too quick, and we can't kind of latch on. But upon a forced and instilled third or fourth listen to the song, because I've lost count, uh, when we listen to it on on a something that we don't typically do, but we listen to it again right after completing listening to it to get a better focus on it, I disagree completely with what John's saying. There's a lot more connection threaded under this song that is not caught upon a first listen. However, upon a second listen, the song does take its time in its own way for a good chunk of it. It's not as rapid as you think it is. I'm not arguing connectivity. I'm not arguing that. I just said rapidness. It's no, not no, as rapid said, as you, you think said, it is. No, no. you Rapidity. Rapi it's, it's, they only are using 10, 15 second clips of a piece. That's simply not, not true. true. That is you There's true. an A section. I, I, I broke this straight, that right down when listened to it. For instance, what the, what's present in the A section there, it lasts for quite a while before we move into that very bizarre B section. Now, I am going to admit that that one transition was a little bit sudden, but that's about it, because after that, there was a really great guitar uh, transition right back into the main riff of A. Um... And that goes on again for quite a while, upwards of a minute, not 15 seconds or anywhere near. Again, this is really splitting hairs here. And then after that, we get this insane bridge, I, fl I thought, which, again, might be where you're uh, drawing that idea, because the bridge, it, it's, it really just kind of shifts the tone of the A section a little bit. And then you get a, a brief, and yes, this probably was 15 seconds or under, this one little part, which is a bit of a jam. A jam that's, I could define, it's a, a flute introduces it, and then there's an electric guitar there, there's an acoustic guitar, guitar, and then I believe there's even a vibraphone. I'm not 100% certain on that, but that's a very, very interesting 15 seconds, because they all get together to do this little singular jam, 
And then, yes, they are kind of gone right after they came. But that's about the only section. Um, it's, 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 it's understandable why you would hone in on that, though, because that instrument combination is not found anywhere else within the album. So I'm sure it, it took you by surprise quite no. a bit, as it did me. No, there's other parts of those transitions. Those were my favorite parts of the entire song, and they were just too fleeting for me. That's really I'm I'm honing in, the A to B, B to A. Those transition parts I felt like sh- could have been so much more expanded and just so much more beautiful than what they were. Uh, that I simply disagree. I think that was that was the the core of the song. That was and it it right after the C section it it returned to it in almost the same way as it did earlier, and I thought it was pretty tasteful. In fact. In terms of long-term structure, this might be the most complex in the album. In terms of form, like large, the larger format of each each section. And uh, to top it all off, we get a pretty incredible jam at the end, which that is basically was... a simplified A that's broken A section that's broken down into oh, you've got a cello or it might be an upright bass combined with a flute solo, and then you get the flute. Well, actually, they're separate at first, and then they, they both combine themselves, and then it's punctuated with an acoustic guitar. It's just too much fun. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. That is a pretty awesome outro. Yeah. Uh, probably the best on the album. That's where they were just decided to truly have fun. Yeah, that... that's the thing. I'm not always that big a fan of, like, jam bands, per se, because I, I at some point I need structure, at some point I need something, but this band is not a jam band. They do have structure for nearly all their tracks, so when they decide to spend just the last couple minutes of a track jamming out, that's that's the time and place to do it. Give me some, you know, give some, uh, what do you call it, fan service. <laughs> I will say as a, pers- uh, as a person who doesn't really truly enjoy jam bands that often on CD at least, and don't typically like jam outros, this jam outro was very well placed, and I did enjoy it in its context. Because typically, for me, a lot of jam outros wind, take forever, go in different directions. And I just, I, like you, require a bit more structure when it comes to listening to recorded music. Jamming live, I love, because I love to see a talent of a band stretched yeah. to do all these different and things. And that's, that's always my, in fact, my best experience with a jam band is, has has been live. It was actually the uh, uh, Grateful Dead um, I want to say spin-off band, as it were, Phil Lesh and Friend, or um, uh, Rat Dog was the name of the band. Yeah. And I saw them live at the Beacon. And yes, that was a very enjoyable experience live because it just lends itself to live concerts so much better, jamming sure. out and rocking. Because you're not, you know, listening to headphones intently, dissecting everything. Instead, you're just kind of partying and you kind of want to see performers partying too. I'm a little bit pickier about my albums. And, and um, this definitely didn't overstay its welcome. It was just the right size of jamming before going into... <laughs> just the right time. amount of jamming. <laughs> well, you don't want... Like I said, I don't want jamming to overstay its welcome. So, it's mostly the reason... Chris match- Farley and the Pepper Boy. The just word, just we, the right amount of pepper. What we did, but what we said before, it's not masturbatory. Yeah, it doesn't be. It doesn't become useless. That's the, the A section lent itself to to yeah. that that riff lent itself to a jam so easily. And at this point, you know, we're in the middle end of the album here. Yeah. So, and it goes into one of, I think it might be my most fun song. I really enjoyed the what was doing what was going on here because in Into Limbo, the next track, track ten, this was a stoner expansion dream it was out there and it really it, it's in the title 
This became an idea of just really expand yourself. Find the ineffable. I love that. I love it when you put that within the framework of classic rock, of psychedelic rock, of old school rock. You could almost say that it was the previous track, uh, Once Upon a Flight, but with a message. <laughs> yeah, it was. this song was much more easygoing and had a very soul-searching vibe. It was very much looking inward, getting introspective, reflecting on yourself and those things around you. And they coupled it with the idea of go out there, reach for the stars kind of an idea, expand your horizons, do drugs and make your mind an open, open field. Inherent in that, letting the flowers grow, watching the sunset go, drinking the waters of your soul, let it go, just go. That, that's pretty beautiful in, in its simplicity right there. Um, especially like that, drinking the waters of your soul. I mean, that's I mean, very, very the, visceral. Uh, conceiving the soul as something that's fluid and always in motion. That's, that's, uh, or something that can be drunk and, and, uh. I, I, I really, really liked this in terms of message. I, I wasn't as heavy on it in terms of, of, of uh, the musicality, perhaps. Sure. But, but you know, it's on the wind down here. No, no, no. Yeah. Heavier musicality could have actually hurt the message. That's true. It took yes. a back seat. That's, what, that's why I meant, you know, comparing this, like, to the previous track, that it's, uh, it's once upon a flight with a message, because if the flight is the acid trip, then this is more about, well, this, this what, is are gonna, what are you going to do with your life? <laughs> right, well, this is bringing you back to reality, but not in a sense of making you get harsh about reality. It's making you take a realistic look at yourself and what you have to offer. It, this is a good come down off of a trip. It's actually yeah. quite introspective, especially considering yep. some further lyrics here. Swimming across the lake, breaking the rules you make painting the waters of your soul again going back to that image um not just drinking it but painting it it's it's really um hence the soul searching vibe soul searching and taking control over your life in a in a big way so uh yeah i quite liked this it still had a very 70s feel to it 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 almost i I kind of want to compare this very very closely to um track eight to make it beautiful which we were kind of ambiguous and halfsies on because of its um familiarity I think and this musically. one this one's still familiar but a little bit more expansive and it's just that the, the lyrics are a lot more evocative and it was evocative, that, evocative. Uh, yeah this is um especially compared with uh you know a, a love song even even though I still think that uh, to make it beautiful was well written as a love song it's um it's still a love song at the end of the day it has been done a million times yeah different ways written differently but it's been done this, however, is a bit of a unique message. Well, and also, when you take something like a soul-searching song where you're forced to look inward, that's not going to be the same for anybody. Yeah. Everyone will view that differently because you're looking at yourself, and we're all special snowflakes, man. We're all different. Yeah, you are. What if, what if you were, like, put on this world for, like, for like a, a something to do, man, and then God was like, no, man, no. You don't have to do that anymore, man. You don't have to do it. The funny I'm going to give is, him a little more credit than that. <laughs> but, uh, I was doing a lark. John was repeating something he's probably said no, a decade no. ago. No, no. <laughs> this, this, you know. You're plateauing, man. That 70s show, Leo. If anybody knows that 70s show, Leo would have written this song. <laughs> I mean, I can see that. I understand the reference point. Tommy right Chong. There. Okay, all right. Tommy yes, Chong. I remember who he was. I don't yeah. think he could have written this, honestly. It's still Tommy Chong. I guess he could have read it and and been inspired by it. No, yes, man. 
Um, but then again, I think many people would. You're like the son so, I never had. So Clo- ne- close that out. There's a really, really fine build at the end. It gets very dissonant, um, and it resolves really, really uh, splendidly to a minor chord and fades away. Yep. So it's um, actually the only fade we have on the album. Which lends itself very well to going into uh, track 11, because I don't think there would have been any transition that would have done track 11 right. Yeah, because fades serve very well as a break. Yeah, and you needed a break before the song Bangladesh. Very much invoking exactly what we got. Um, the intro was A, gorgeous, but B, very specific to a sound that reflects a Bangladesh title that's attached to this track. Well, that's the thing. Just as I said, there was Indian influence back in uh, Descobri, along with, of course, the obvious uh, Brazilian influence. This track seemed to go more toward the Indian in that regard. And again, that's not new to this album. In fact, it's one little tying theme we have. Apart from perhaps the classic rock, there's that um, that recurring motif of the Indian uh, instruments. You get the sitar and uh, the Tablas, and even if I was unsure about it back in You Discovery, I am nearly positive that it's here in this track. And some pretty awesome guitar skills just to open up, which sort they they persist in this sort of cycle where the accents are the most important thing there. They always emphasize on the two, yeah. every single measure, and uh, the way in which that 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 groove works together. It's um it's very alluring, and perhaps the most maybe the most technical guitar work on the album, I think. Uh, combined with some other pretty crazy uh, technical elements, aside from a really deep rumbly bass, you have this electric piano run, which almost sometimes make it kind of sounds like a saxophone a little bit, but I'm pretty sure it's a piano. We're um, actually, I'm, we're still on the fence with that. What was the other on the one? Flute or clarinet? It's the phrasing it was, it was of so these instruments. It's the way they record it. Sometimes it's just so right on that line. But I mean, timbres cross over quite a bit. So the 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 sound says fa- saxophone. The speed says keyboard. It's just an amazing little little snippet, and really yeah, takes that. That's perfect. Takes right. that Indian sound and turns it on its head. That's the whole thing. It's a completely different piece when that keyboard's going, without really varying any of the other instruments in it. Yeah. Well, that's something they've made a career of doing in this whole album, and I imagine the discography is taking these instruments and swapping them in a way that still complement each other, but make still the unique sounds that they're going for. Well, again, just to go to back to that, that, that track I'm promoting, uh, Voce Sabe, off of O-E-A-O-Z, hui, it's hard to say. Um, it actually means in Brazilian, it means the A to the Z, but that's O-A-A-O, you know, they're words in there, yeah. aside from just letters, and it ends up just being five letters. Point is, they're very good at guitar duets. Um, yes. Whenever, again, it's not prevalent in every single song, and, and I almost think that if it was, they would be superstars like Rodrigo and Gabriela, that kind of, um, that kind of peak of skilldom. But they, maybe Tasteful is better for them. It, it shows their diversity, because then once it, once it comes, it packs such a punch. But this track, I would have, uh, I would have almost passed off as an instrument, as a really awesome instrumental, which would have been fine for me at this point of the album. Until um, we both heard we those get... opening lines, the lyrics. It yeah. was me. It was me listening, repeating, and Steve typing this down. We needed to write these down. That's right. All those lives we have lived, birth and rebirth, birth and rebirth grows our steed. We are the center, the music, the spheres. We know it, but don't perceive. That's that's pure poetry. Yeah, I can't even. 
these lyrics clobber the lyrics that came before it. And I like the lyrics that came before it, but there's something about the art of these lyrics and how ethereal they sound. You almost time get and space a sense. Time, is, and, oh, time and Space had, had lyrics that, that went right in the same exact groove to me. Um, that In fact, but, that's that's the theme that I really wish was the predominant theme in this album, yeah. which is where you almost get a bit of a split here. And maybe you start realizing that, yes, there are 23 members. Maybe there are multiple writers here. Because... You know, you compare those lyrics to the kind of lyrics that you get in To Make It Beautiful, and it's just, huh, what, one is, is so incredibly, it, it should be its own poetry book. I would write this as pure, I would buy this poetry book, uh, and, music aside. And it's just, I like also, to be a little selfish for a moment, my love of music, the fact that they're making this music and this focal point of all things almost, is just so beautifully stated in that poetry, yeah. too. Well, this is also really niche again, uh, in terms of, um, well, not niche. No, actually, that's the wrong way to put it, because there's nothing less niche than... Classic rock? Th- no, than time, <laughs> no, than time and space. Oh, and, okay. And, uh, and um, uh, whatchamacallit, this, this whole vibe that they're getting at here. What I meant by niche is, um, at least it's something that reaches out to me, because perhaps because I'm a science fiction fan, maybe. That's, that's partially what gets me. I love that a whole I- Isaac Asimov... Um, oriented way of unifying the world in a w- it, by invoking cosmic uh, imagery, right. if that makes sense. So it's up my niche. Maybe so. Yeah, maybe it is nichey because simply not. You'd think it would reach out to everyone, but not everyone is into that kind of thing. I still think that's where they that's where they shine as 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 writers because that that I don't find in tracks like to make it beautiful. I right. I still end up passing off love songs as love songs, even as beautiful or sweet as they may be. But that's just a whole different style to me. This this album is fairly split in that regard. And in this song, we get we get a, a thematic and a spiritual successor to the Northern Song by the Beatles, which is really one of their most esoteric and interesting pieces. That's what Bangladesh was. It was something that really just tried to be off the wall for the album and did a great job of doing so um it it kind of represents i i you know what i don't even know what it represents i don't even want to know what it represents i like the mystique that this kind of portrays that's it that's it you know that we we had a discussion about this where that's why it's so hard to talk about because it's the ineffable you know we had a discussion about on the nose versus the ineffable well sometimes i really like the ineffable and the yeah. fact that it's difficult to describe uh you know, what it what it means to you is is sometimes a real perk about it because it means they're reaching higher places. They're yeah. um they're raising the bar. It's, even if you can't always explain what or where that bar is. And in this case I just like the fact that I can't explain it. Yeah. I enjoy it's not unsettling. I'm not upset well, no. in any way. This is just something that I know every time I listen to it, I'm gonna be looking at something else. I'm going to be hearing something else. Well, this song, like a few others, is is about a greater sense of self and then the things beyond your, yourself, you know, looking deep inside but also looking beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not going to reach for the sun here. I think we've said all yeah. there is to say about just that this, style. This song uh, we'll come back else. to that in the wrap-up, so let's just pause. Yeah. Last track, False LSD. Beautiful closer, in my opinion. So I'm grateful that the album does not close the way it opened. Thankfully, they, yeah. for what, however you explain it, created a great 
closing track. Um, Voss LSD does something that they've already shown they're very good at on this record. It has more of that evil, mysterious vibe. That cello, at least that we're pretty sure is a cello, um, this or one, an upright this one, bass. This one I'm pretty sure was a cello. Uh, but it this, gives you it, that... It had one, one feature, and that was the sound bite of the wind. Yeah. Which really just... It became a a waltz of desolation. A man, a man and a woman. I, I put it two ways: either post-apocalyptic or it felt like there was a storm a brewing. You're dancing in the middle of Kansas right before the tornado hits. I it mean, was that kind of scary. I mean, it was ominous, but it was also very theatrical. I mean, John even jokingly mentioned he could see Jack Sparrow dancing and singing to this song but it, it does lend itself to a very theatrical or musical waltz not and jack sparrow movement. jack skellington uh, uh, jack skellington <laughs> jack sparrow nightmare before christmas whoops <laughs> one of the disney but, yeah, jacks you, you're close you were close enough um yeah, that's I've, funny. I've been further away you're right it really has you that have. kind of it has that kind of tim burton feel to it i just it, it's old good tim burton yeah, yes. for it's funny considering you got the uh, you know what I termed the Oingo Boingo era of of Danny Elfman in the second track, Full Metal Jack, and now we're we're really more at his at his uh, macabre orchestral stuff, or at least in that in that vein, that that style. Um, it was a very yeah kind of a bleak way to close out, especially the use of uh, cello here was was especially gripping. But then again, that's been true throughout the album. I thought it really. Uh, burgeoned forth in this track yeah and maybe even it grew on took on a, a role other than simply complimenting here and there and providing cool transitions it was a real character yeah exactly you're welcome there you are no it was a solid close and i mean it was very engaging it very much wrapped up and yeah it did seem kind of bleak but i mean a bleak end is still an end and it felt like an end it felt like it was culminating it was macabre and macabre does seem bleak, but it's not a hundred percent that macabre is still a bleak art form as opposed to just desolation and death. It still has character to it, and for that, I love it. I really, I really feel like this is the the, the way the instruments come together here, and um, this is the one with the male and female vocalists singing together, which adds a little bit more of an eerie nature to it than anything else in the album as well. Uh, Desolate just in the way they're singing. That it became... Well, what's the the March of the Red Death? The Walk of the Red Death? When the mm. when the death comes from room to room? I can't remember. I think it's Edgar Allan Poe or something like that. I'm not sure, but seeing as you... Death goes from room to room to room to room. Killing the people there, celebrating being alive while the world mm. around them dies. Well... That's what I get. I'm quite a fan of Edgar Allan Poe. But then again, As who isn't? I. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't actually think I know anybody who isn't. Yeah, it's he was pretty. It's, it's macabre, and macabre is one of the. Seeing as it's a valse, might you call it a dance of the macabre? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. But it's it's one of the hardest. Great piece, by the way. It's one of the hardest art forms to do, without becoming campy. Because and... it's just very easy to fall into a thriller kind of a feel. Or a more generic horror kind of feel. No, this is definitely the track that gets the right amount of seriousness. That it doesn't take itself so seriously that it becomes parody. But also it stays 
loose enough that you can approach it and understand it. Yeah. I think it's time to close this up. <laughs> so, um... We're all looking at Storm like, we don't want to go first. Right, no, we don't want to go first. <laughs> you go so, first. I mean, I'll be completely honest. Upon the initial listen of this record, I, I did prejudge it a lot, and I think the first... The first track did affect my influence a lot in the beginning. I just, I thought it was going to be a kind of very stagnant 70s to 80s rock album. Um, But very quickly, as you go through the tracks, it does engage and change. I mean, there's a lot of unique here. Um, Even though there are moments of very samey, not unique stuff. There's definitely a larger variety of things that are uniquely this band, or at least what I'm coming to understand this band is, based on the one record I'm familiar with, because I have not heard their other tracks. Um, and again, though, irrelevant. We are rating it based on what this album is. That's what we do. Um, I do like them best when they're doing something different or uniquely Brazilian or to their more ethnic roots. I mean, you know, the... Just the the stuff that's so unique stands out so much better above the stuff that isn't. That said, though, some of the most powerful songs are the ones that were more reminiscent of stuff I've heard before. I mean, you can't deny the the vastness and the most and the powerfulness of of uh, time and space. Um, and as a science fiction fan, but also as someone who just enjoys the big questions, and when music represents. The big questions and the big emotions, time and space really knocks that out of the park. It's very much, I mean, you know, I like to compare things to Doctor Who because that's my, you know, one of my biggest sci-fi things. But Doctor Who does very much get you to have moments of going, huh, so that's the big picture. And time and space really does that. It just gets you to think. Not, it doesn't matter what about, but it definitely gets you to think. And it doesn't need to do a lot to get you there. And that's impressive. And that's what impressed me about this band, especially when discussing it through. Um, I honestly thought in the beginning it would be a three, but it's definitely well above that. There are threes we've listened to that don't get anywhere near as profound as this. That said, though, it's not a four-five. Because there's still just enough generic to hold it a little bit back. And with tracks like um, The Dream Is Gone and uh to make it feel beautiful even though it is a beautiful song it's still just not enough there i like love songs and this is not a love song that's as impactful as others that i've heard it's sweet but let's just say i wouldn't put it on a mix for my girlfriend um moving forward though even the close of the album it's just so powerful it really kind of culminates the record in a way it failed to begin the start wasn't so graceful, but it dove headfirst into its finale, without issue. So, it's definitely a it's definitely a step in a direction that I'd like to see a lot of other classic rock bands. One of our biggest problem with Paul McCartney was, he was comfortable in his stagnation, and it's not to say that Paul McCartney's bad, but he was comfortable not really going to the next step. I don't know if this is leaps and bounds based on better than what they've done before, but I think it's an interesting direction, and I do hear a lot more modern connections than I had initially said. I told Steve off the air that it w- it was stuck in a time capsule, but I'm disagreeing with that. Songs like uh, Time and Space and Bangladesh and Vols LSD really do make it move towards a more modern sound, 
or emotion or both. That said, it's a four two five for me. It's above the four, you know. It's definitely that next step, but it's not. It's not there yet. I think they still fell into too many traps of classic rock or just rock, and I would have loved to hear more of the three distinct tracks that stood out than the other stuff that was sort of an amalgamation of what's been done before. That's where that's where my biggest issues with this album comes from. Because while you can you, you definitely see a high level of craftsmanship with the work that's been done here, they are obviously uh, experts at their chosen field of, of, of instruments and composition. Uh, the sheer level of familiarity I have with this music, it's, it's just a little bit too much for me. I've heard thousands and thousands of classic rock songs, everything ranging from Southern to Elvis to American Bandstand to Psychedelic to Acid Trip to this, that, and the other thing. I've forgotten the titles of more songs than I can recall right now. Everything on this album, just about, feels very familiar. That's a positive and a negative. I, I know I've heard it all before, or it, it tastes that way, it feels that way. But the combinations of the different styles of what we would all put under the blanket of classic rock is what actually makes it refreshing. It's not 100% because of that. I, 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 because of my familiarity, I know that if I wanted to hear space rock or reggae, I can go to somebody else. When I want to hear something that's just interesting and off the wall, I can go to someone like Floyd. But here, it's like I'm getting a taste of everything that's been done in, in that era. I like it for that, but it... It, it takes a little bit away from me. One big feature that I liked is that some of the lyrical work is really excellent. It, it does hit those old school styles, which is what I measure every other music against. That's just personal preference. I like having politics in my music. I like, ha like having actual social movement in my music. And I, like you said, Storm, I like thinking. Thinking is always good. If you can get me to use my brain, you're already halfway to winning me over it's a it's a really really good album a little bit in the beginning i was i wasn't fully on board with the distortion effects uh because it, it felt like they were taking some familiar and kind of taking a step back but it, it grew on me uh same way you did a second lesson listen was definitely something that solidified it as a as a better album than what i first thought but I'm not going to go above a four. This is this is a four-star album. It's really, really good. It's just... It's, it's, it's not groundbreaking. It's taking something and making it better. I just... I don't feel like it's hitting the next level. Okay. I, I kind of see your deliberation here. Uh, the funny thing is that I didn't think that this, this review was going to boil... Uh, down the question of familiarity familiarity so much. I didn't think that was going to be um, the biggest thing on the table. I thought maybe the weirdness, you know, could rub you the wrong way. Who knows? But familiarity is a tough one because the more and more, you you know, you alert me to it, I, I definitely realize it. I guess I always kind of realized it because here I am 
you know, even when I got into it, of course, it was still in the 2000s, and I thought, well, here's a band that kind of is of a prior time. They almost don't belong here, and yet I did see the uniqueness within that. So it's really, really tough. Because on one hand, you're right, that it's pros and cons. It It's familiar, ergo, all right, it's not groundbreaking. But then again, I've always liked when people take old genres and spin them in a new way, uh, with a new twist or something. And when I really look at the elements here, I think you're being a little harsh on the, um, on the old and familiar front, although I guess it does really go song by song. I also want to talk about um, the, this album's position compared to their previous work, because it's, it's pretty funny when you consider this as a band that has always been bent around eating up genres. That's what so many people have quite, that's what he himself is quoted at, that they started off by just sort of consuming other genres and, in a sense, just throwing it up. That almost makes it sound really negative, like it's just a mockery of other genres. And yet there's something so artful about the way they choose these genres that I can't call it a mockery of any kind. They take these genres and they own it, and they do provide their own, uh, their own distinct element, and that's really what I love to see in art. Especially in the, uh, on the instrumental perspective, that's really what's going to get me. It's not just whether it makes me use my brain or not, because that's such a very vague thing with music. Not all, not all songs need to make me think. Not all songs need to make me emote. It's usually one or the other. So it's that back and forth business. Uh, one more thing. The choice of genres present here. It may not be as broad as I originally presented it out to be, because the more and more I think about this, I don't think they're ever really going to break so far away from that classic rock base. I think if they did that, I'm not sure they'd be Os Mutantes. Um, they are the every genre of a certain time period with inclusions of the weird and the new. That's like the perfect thing that makes them unique. So I think I just outlined all the positives here. The negatives are when they fall below the mark in doing just that. That occurs in the intro for me. Really, really, really strongly it occurs in the intro. I, I take almost nothing abstract out of it. And abstract is what I love about Os Mutantes. Abstract and, and, um, and virtuosic, uh, especially going back to the Voce Sabe piece I've talked up so much. Because the more I think about it, even going back to their previous work, there were songs that I kind of glossed over as well. Maybe they just weren't weird enough, or they didn't have that virtuosic. If you take away either of those two elements, they're not Os Mutantes. There needs to be one or the other. That said, the vast majority of these tracks had either or. I'm going to throw out a number here and just say 4.4. Uh, I know I'm hit, going close to my, my smaller decimals here, but the reason it's not quite a 4.5 for me is because I know what I love most about this album, and I know what I simply enjoyed. Os Mutantes was a, is a band that I enjoy apart from those two elements, the insanely virtuosic or the really, really weird and abstract. If, if you don't have either of those, I'm just going to maybe enjoy it, or maybe not even. And I find both of those elements, either one or the other, 
in most of these songs, and I find them both in You Discovery, Time and Space, to some extent, um, to some extent even the earlier Full Metal Jack, because it was just so off the wall, but it's not a song I would really replay, uh, night and day. And then, um, finally, Vals LSD and, um, and Bangladesh. Yeah, I'm sticking with that. 4.4. It just, it could have been a fully formed album. If it, it could have been closer to a 5 if it took those ideas and made it throughout uh, the album. But I know they're all about the showmanship here. It's just, gotta go for those groundbreaking moments. So I guess I kind of am in, in, with, with John in that regard. I, I want more of the groundbreaking. That is what I want from them at the end of the day. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why my rating was where it was. Yeah. You know, because, you know, a band like Steam Power for Giraffe, for example, who is the poster child for my 4.5, they are constantly breaking ground and doing unique things and being themselves, but still doing different things. It's like when we reviewed Chick Corea, where it's, this is, this album right here, this is classic rock. Chick Corea is jazz yeah that's not they a bad are, comparison actually are, i did consider that album when i was going through this especially during moments like uh you discovery because of the bossa nova element and i think chicoria has himself dabbled in bossa nova in the past the jazz yeah. work so it's just like there are moments there where yeah chicoria is going to burgeon forth with like that first track i found really groundbreaking in the chicoria album um but then the rest of it is like okay it's jazz, jazz. yeah definitely virtuosic does it have the abstract does it have the weird maybe not is it that it's, next you know, level it's gonna be it's gonna be good as long as it has one of those things sure um it'll be great if it has both yeah that, yeah that's definitely fairly accurate yeah this album was just a little bit schizophrenic in that regard not in terms of arc or theme our in arc and theme actually i think it was very unified and artistic goal it was unified yeah it was, it was only disparate in those two things and it was actually along the lines of uh the the arc of an old school album I would I would compare this to a this this every every single aspect of this album really does scream sixties and seventies, with with little dabbling of the modern and I, I'm just saying it's it's hard to do something refreshing. That and way. again, if it appeared at the time, it would have owned it oh yeah owned the time period oh, beyond yeah. that. This is this I'm going to go out and say this is better than a lot of the stuff that did come out at the time, which may was may have been held you know really really highly for that context because for a person at the time all right yeah you never heard anything like this but boy they never would have heard anything like this yeah no that's definitely true and speaking of the time and never hearing things like that steven came up with a really interesting idea for today's topic well, it's very related to today because uh considering those two pillars that i've just put forth there the virtuosic and the weird Let's hone in on the weird for a little bit, because, well, if you don't got virtuosity, and you don't have to put virtuosity in every track, the best thing you can do as a, as a creative mind is to be abstract, to go off the wall. And, well, historically, especially within, and we don't really know how long it's been going on, but we can at least uh, mark the time period since hallucinogenics really came about as a popular substance um, in, in subculture that it's been the inspiration for many people to pursue that abstract, that, that weird factor that would separate themselves from the group. And it's really why we see such a big divide in the 1960s um, in terms of musical stylization, because once you, once you bring in, you know, 
substance, a substance that is that is literally changing the way in which you think on a fundamental level, you're going to see some side effects in the music, and most of that was desired. And we're going to talk about to, to what extent this has really been helpful, to what extent it's been hurtful, and uh, all the in-betweens. And one of my favorite poster childs, so to speak, of the use of drugs and making it into psychedelic rock and all that, Jim Morrison, who is... Ah, uh, yes. He's one of the greatest poets of the 20th century. Maybe, in my opinion, the greatest poet. Greatest substance hey, abuser one of, of, one of the century. heaviest substance abusers yeah. you can even think of. Like, when you were yeah. setting that up, I said, if he, I was saying to myself, if he says anyone but Jim Morrison, <laughs> I'm going to smack him. And I love the doors. Well, there's other names we're going to throw around here, but and I think he this was, is a very good place to start. Because he was, he was one of, I already have a name for a terrible example. But, okay. Let, hey, no, hey, we're hey, going to we'll go one that. at a time here. Jim, Jim had a terrible voice. A really, really, really plain singing voice but see that's the thing that's 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 for the hoity-toity uh you know vocalist care vocalist professor might say that he didn't care and does it matter but when but the first time uh, i'm playing one of his albums and i hear people are strange when you're a stranger faces seem ugly when you're alone women seem wicked when you're unwanted i just love when you're strange Faces come out of the rain when you're strange. No one remembers your name. These words are just so inspiring to me and so creepy yet familiar, comforting yet disconcerting. All of his music's like that. Every single song he utters, every single line he says is just so familiar yet and familiar and comforting yet terrifying. And to know from the framework he was working in because he was a messed up kid with a weird and back and forth childhood I just it's amazing the words he was able to create from that adult haze he had most of his adult life mm. um, he's he's easily one of my favorite musicians ever and here's the big question if you took the drugs away would you still have it I think you still have still him Yes, because the big he actually, thought experiment. No, no, no. He actually a lot of his lyrics came from even when he was a kid before he got into drugs. He was a poet first and foremost from a very young age. I've read his you biography, uh, so I, 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 I love Jim Morrison. So I read his biography. Yeah, you are now. Granted, we don't have the ability to go down and and track. I mean, obviously, history is history. You know, yeah. they did take drugs, and yes, they also produced amazing music. Um, but the thing, we can also cite examples, uh, and uh, I, have an yeah, I think you're going for the worst example that I'm going for. I Maybe, maybe not. So my example is inherently 90s, because... Oh, never mind, then. My, my music taste is obviously leads towards, uh, floats towards the 90s. I like a lot of things, but I have a very strong-rooted passion for the 90s. So one of my favorite 90s bands who put out tons of great music in the mid to late 90s were the Stone Temple Pilots. They were kind of a reemergence in 90s culture of a classic rock-esque sound. They weren't necessarily classic rock, but they had leanings towards it with their style and the way they played. Their lead singer, Scott Stapp, is... Uh, not Scott Stapp, I'm sorry, Scott Weiland. Scott Weiland is considered one of the... At the time, one of the greatest record producers and songwriters. 
and wrote great stuff like Plush and Interstate Love Song and Creep and all these really great songs. However, they barely toured. When they toured, it didn't last long. The band broke up and got together several times. He was constantly in jail in the 90s. And then in the 2000s when they got back together. Ultimately, the band is now touring without him and with uh, the lead, one of the singers of um, Linkin Park, Chester Bennington, because of the drug abuse. While it helped him create some great art, it also completely derailed and hindered this band. That's the thing. You don't even know in that instance whether it helped him create the great art at all. It may have purely been a detractor at that point. And it's unfortunate because there's talent there, and he's produced tons of records on his own without his band, and they've created such great music. But at the end, I judge and dislike him for it because he's taking away from my enjoyment by being an asshat and not being there. I mean, the band's broken up and got back together just because he was in jail so much. That's the thing. In the music industry, (laughs) maybe there's a lot of artists out there that just would rather not be in industry, of course, that they would just prefer it be a nice old, good old-fashioned bohemian culture where you can create, you can be an artist, and that's the end of it. And somehow you'll live, you know, and make a living and whatnot. And in general, you just do what you do and float on by. But that's just not the way it is. The way life works is, of course, you need to organize things. You need to get an agent. If you're not doing it yourself, you need to get an agent of some kind. You need to book, you know, you need to book place, book venues, and, and get your face out there. There's a lot of work, a lot of little legwork involved in being a musician at the same time. So if you're flaking out, then it falls back under unprofessional. And that's that's just something that you really can't do as much as you wish you didn't have to do in the industry. It Art does go hand-in-hand hand with professionalism in many, many instances, unless you're just one lucky bastard. And you're I'm just that good. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, though, the thing about him and the Stone Temple Pilots is I've seen them in concert several times, and they are an incredible band live. And when he's clean, they are at the pinnacle of their game and of music. They have done some great stuff. Oh, STP is, is freaking awesome. But the problem is, is it's so short-lived. They go on a tour, he binges again, and he's in jail. Or he's yeah. just out of commission. And, it's, and eventually it becomes personal to me because I take music personally... And when you're taking it away from me because you can't keep your shit together, I just, I can't stay interested. And I can't, well, there's, I, a, there's a I, medium to go down here, and that's the personality type. That there's a personality type that goes along with, you know, whether you're able to handle it or whether you're not able to handle it. Um, or whether you, it even really enters the game at all. And that's the, for instance, a lot of classical musicians, it comes down to, like, focus, really intense focus, the amount of hours that you have to put in, you know, becoming a virtuoso at your craft and whatnot, usually just, there's no room in there. This is why people tend to look at, like, oh, that that's the big divide, you know, between the, uh, the pre-1960s and post-1960s. There's the straight-laced composer or musician in a suit and a tie who will go on Ed Sullivan and say, yes, sir, no, sir, and do his job and entertain for the crowd, and that's just how it goes that's 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 the end of the business right and then afterwards there's the the free-for-all artists just being who they are and it's more about personality and um and less about the the straight lace now i'm not saying that more or less work actually goes into it it's about the public mindset of how we perceive it 
that's a bit of a disparity between, you know, pre-1960s and post-1960s. At least this is what's um, been carried down through, uh, through, through culture and the way in which we perceive uh, before the time period and after the time period. So, bit of a weird thing. What's your point? Well, there's one artist who's been on both sides of that time period. Ozzy Osbourne. We reviewed him here. And back in the day, when he was first uh, making music... Put, make, always put him afterwards. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean before drug culture became a no-no. It was only really the mid-80s where doing drugs and being a wreck oh, of well, a you're musician... you're going into a little bit of a middle ground with this. Because I, I, I always kind of perceive that, at least in the public mindset, you know, that, that prior to 1960s... There, it's not even a, it's not even an entity in the public mindset, which is actually not true because, of course, it was pretty irrelevant. At least, at least things like marijuana were prevalent in the jazz community as early as the twenties and thirties. Well, so, drugs themselves were prevalent, but they were usually they used discussed. medicinally. Yeah. If they were used uh, in in. Let, who's kidding? Who here? No. <laughs> it's just... Opiates, opiates are huge, pre nineteen fifties. Yes, but they were not all used medicinally either. No, okay. You're telling me the majority were. Is that they what you're They were used me? as everything from the common cure, uh, the common cold cure, to treating like the worst cancers you could think of. Because nobody had the science to know that they were actually hurting you, and they made you feel good. And things like your coughing would go away after taking a swig of an opiate. Here's the thing, though. Yes, but that 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 um, that percentage of people who use drugs in that way. Has, yes, it's been around, it's, it's the same percentage as it was, I think, prior as it was afterwards. In terms of recreational, though, that's really what we're talking about here. And then, that has, that, that was prevalent beforehand, it just wasn't as discussed. Maybe medicinal was discussed, but after 1960s, there's public awareness around there. Because you can find lines in uh, Cab Calloway, for instance. Had law, actually, I mentioned that just earlier in this podcast, of... Uh, Minnie the Moocher, I'll show you how to kick the gong around. That was actually an expression for, hey, come and smoke pop with me. That was right there in a song made 1933. It was there. So it wasn't like it was, it wasn't present. But my point is only that it wasn't in public knowledge. In your, in your typical uh, oh, okay. white class, middle class community, community it's, not, it's not a thing. You know, people don't do that. That's way on the other side of the coin. And then 1960s comes along and there's this, this push of acceptability. And the idea that your musicians are doing it. You know, you don't perceive them as the suit and tie people. You perceive them as people who are always having crazy parties and always on that stuff. That becomes the public mindset of the public mindset of rock and roll post 1960 whatever, because it's not really definable dates on these things. But um, I think we can probably blame the Beatles for a little bit of that. Well, it's... and I think there's nothing, there's no greater uh, divide in an artist's discography than early Beatles to later Beatles um, when you're discussing the influence of hallucinogenics. Yeah. Because you're talking about an incredibly short span of time, really. Ten years. <laughs> Ten years. That's it. You know, we're not talking about a massive amount of, of time for, for the entirety of culture to change. You have to figure, if there was a catalyst, it was probably the drugs. Probably, yeah. And it probably happened as early as Revolver, maybe even the previous album, I forget. 
Revolver, Rubber Soul, and I believe Taxman was was either one yeah. or two before them. And from there, it's just it's exponential in terms of how it pushed one idea forward, and then the next idea pushed that forward. So in that it's, sense, you know, you're almost you, talking about a pro there, because that's even, almost undeniable. I, it's still inference. Granted, it's still inference, but it's almost undeniable that it had some kind of effect. You, you just look at their covers. Look at the album covers and how they evolve yeah. over time. I will play devil's advocate, though. You, would you say it was the culture, too? Or would you say it was, the drug? It was definitely the culture, too. You can't just attribute it to the drugs. Well, it you was. Can't. I'm, not, I'm not necessarily. I'm just proposing it. I mean, I think it's there are a cacophony of things happening at once, but um, to what degree can you really define the origins of things like tie dye, or things like um, yeah? But you also have to look at it was the Beatles, changes. some of the greatest musicians to ever live, and they were growing, they were learning, they were bec- becoming adults and experimenting and building lives and feeling things. That beyond the drugs was also just experience, and and that's probably true, but at the same time, their influences, especially up to a certain point, revolved around things like Elvis, um, you know, really kind of what we perceive today as your generic nineteen fifties uh, rock and roll band, American rock and roll bands, and those were their influences. That's what they had to deal with. And and I, I, I've never actually heard whether they were so steeped in influence more toward the middle part of their career to actually get some names as to, you know, what might have been influencing them around the time of Revolver, but I never really heard any other names. It's always, whenever you hear about the Beatles, it always just comes back to, oh, yeah, Elvis. We started out playing Elvis. And you know, it was like, one minute you're there, next minute you're you're at a circus. Benefit of Mr. Kite. Well, I think that Very also... Odd. I really think that also... To try and pigeonhole them too, yes, drugs are bad, okay, or drugs are good. It's not the drugs. The drugs don't change. Well, over the years, sometimes they do. They do, especially when you consider, um, well, I'll go into this later. But, but the you know, reality is the drugs. Marijuana versus drugs, LSD versus cocaine. Yeah, it changes. But the, 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 the drugs, the fact that drugs exist doesn't change. They may get more powerful or go in different directions. But drugs are drugs. It's the people that change. I think that depending on the person determines the influence. Am I saying that drugs are good? No, not necessarily. But I'm saying that artist A versus artist B, artist A may not even really be affected by drugs. It may just allow them to think more openly, make them a little lazier, make them a little more relaxed. But artist B may take the same drug have a mental breakdown and stab somebody. Well, that's the first path I started to go down when talking about the way it changes uh, different types of personalities. Um, and yeah, I, I, I first started to outline that in terms of time period, um, in terms of pff, what people perceive. Again, the straight lace type versus the, um, uh, the... The straight is an arrow type, is a better way to put it. The person who has just total control of themselves, they're not going to, to overdose in anything. They're not going to take anything too far. That's the straight is the arrow uh, personality versus the the prone to addiction, to be honest. Right. Which could happen from anything from alcohol to coffee. So, yeah, that would obviously... Then drugs is probably not such a good idea for that particular person. Uh, but for sure, I'm not coming in here with like any kind of agenda. I just want to keep that, op- that... I want to keep that idea open that perhaps it... it it was more influential in the 60s than maybe some of the 
uh, the events happening around it were. Because there was a lot going on in the 60s, and this is a thought experiment that has probably plagued many people ever since as to what influenced what. And the answer is, very simply, probably just all of them simultaneously. Which is where I would go with it. Yeah. But it's um, still something to note, because when you're talking about a substance that does literally change the way you think in many instances... Not everyone perceives it that way. Some people talk about hallucinogenics as um, as enhancing various ways in which you would already be prone to thinking. Right. But there's still a lot of evidence that it just completely changes it, unpredictably sometimes. That case, you gotta... Well... You gotta post its influence a little higher than that. I, from personal experience, it does a lot of different things. It all depends upon the hallucinogenic. Things Even, you're prone to or not, now that we're talking personal stories. Uh, I'm not going to share that <laughs> full story. But um, having delved within the uh, natural enhancements that, that, that plants provide us, um, <laughs> it, it doesn't always alter your perception or create things. In a lot of cases, it does just intensify experiences. Intensify things that would already be there to begin with. Yes. Uh, point of reference, I stared at a poster for about an hour thinking it was a movie. That's like a classic story. Yeah. Along the lines of... A lot of, of people um, have done that. Yeah. It's um, it's kind of interesting. Especially, you know, in my personal life, I've always found that I'm more prone to the whole addiction slash laziness slash, hey, look, another thing, <laughs> you know, uh, to to inspire me not to produce. Because for me, creation has always been um, a form of work. As much as I love it, there's, 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 I'm too particular to simply just uh, sit back, let the drugs take hold and, and go with the wind. That, that's something that I've never been able to do. I guess in that sense, I have probably more in common with your pre-1950s persona. But, and I'm sure, you know, I'm not the only one. There's, there's always been that holdover there. People who still choose to just, you know, trudge along. My experience is more varied. I feel like it depends on the type, what you're doing, where you are in life, because I also think that a lot of those, if we, if you feel you're the type of person... But this is specifically in reference to creativity, also. Right, but creativity is also affected by emotion, as well as, I believe, drugs. If drug, That's true. If it's expanding or enhancing something that you currently are going through, if you are angry or depressed, it's going to take you in one direction. If you're happy or excited or energized it's going to take you in a different direction and i think that's really the core of this is as a musician or any creative type anything that you do to alter your mood not just drugs but just anything that alters your state of being is going to be enhanced by your current state of being because it it's also about releasing endorphins too yeah and, like, food can sometimes do the same thing drugs do, depending on the food. I mean, you mentioned coffee. You know, My, ca- my, my mother's cooking will get you addicted. <laughs> ca- caffeine can do what some do- drugs do, depending on the person. And I think the ultimate gauge is completely personal. And while we could wax eloquent on the Jim Morrisons versus the Scott Weilands, the reality is 
it's a case by case, and I don't think that it will affect the two people the same. Much That's like true. how music's effect is on people, I believe that these these substances are the same way. Yeah, the depending real, on the person is depending the influence. the real difference post nineteen sixties, as I said, is just that the, that their use became became known. Yeah. Even if they didn't become more common or less common, although I'm sure they became. But once things become known, they tend to become more, more common. common. So we can say that fairly certain. Um, but yes, it still remained case by case as it existed um, uh, prior to then as well. Because yes, there are nineteen. As I, I just started talking about jazz music, there's nineteen thirties. There, believe it or not, there are nineteen thirties swing pieces or or um, in the Cab Calloway van, vein that do get a little too bizarre. You know, kind of off the wall to a point where you want to question their. The state whole, of mind. yeah, the whole state of mind, the whole art behind it, whether it has a goal or not, you know. So you're considering I started out with the Beatles here. That was the direction I was going to go. If I was going to t- cite a negative example, what better than Revolution Nine? <laughs> it's not a song, really. Yeah. And, and and I mean, granted, it did appear. It was on the White Album, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah. And the White Album was, in many sense, uh, in many ways, a compilation. So, yeah, all right, if you want to get away with a soundbite, it could be cons- construed as a computer uh, computer electronic music piece, perhaps. But what do you take away from it? What Seriously, does it, what does I, I love that song. Do you really, though? I really enjoy that song. Do you really? Everyone's got something to hide except for me and my monkey would be the most appropriate choice you could pick. Really? Yeah. And, and I like not... Revolution 9. What a... Please tell me the artistic I couldn't merit. Even, I couldn't even artistic ex- merit right now. Colin. I couldn't tell you. There's something about it, though. Uh, see, he's got a safe response, though, because he could just go down today's route of it's ineffable. Well, that and you don't have to... Something doesn't have to have merit for you to like it. I mean, hell, Nickelback still has fans. But uh-huh. We're it making becomes, riffs today, aren't we? But, well, I think, I think the, 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 the great argument is... Hendrix versus Bieber. Which one is doing better on the drugs? Or did better on the drugs? Pardon? <laughs> I think it's just uh, the culture has changed from the time of the 60s and 70s so drastically. It used to oh, be... No. Actually, it that's was, something I want to get back to because... It's, it's, it, it became commonplace and in the public eye, but it was still accepted that they were going to be doing drugs and everything like that. It was accepted that there's hallucinogenics and cocaine and marijuana and alcohol and party time all the time up through the 80s. It's only nowadays that when uh, he's got a coke problem that it's actually called a problem as opposed to he's using uh, it inspirationally. Yeah, but that's semantics because back then it was a problem for some people too, but nobody that's, cared enough. The well, that's the direction nowadays, I was going to go down is because there are phases of drug use. And yes, once you got around to the late 70s, 80s, Coke was the drug of choice in many ways. Um, it, it had its culture of its own at the time and it became more common then. So I see what direction you were going down, Matt, with in terms of phases of drug use. But the whole thing is, drugs have evolved dramatically as much, if not more so, than music, to be frank. Uh, when back in the day, back in the 60s, it was pretty much all natural with a mixture of herbs and spices. Nowadays, the bulk of drugs are manufactured, and they don't alter brain chemistry the way that, that 
marijuana does that yeah, mushrooms people could do. argue that when it was all natural it was less clean and therefore less safe though no 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 old drugs did different things to your body did different things they sure did different but i mean in the end here's the thing it's all fun and games to talk about as long as you're all right, yeah, I had a trip and it was safe and, and, and that's just about it. I had some really cool, funny stories to tell. And then the second, something shifts and you did something really weird or something socially... Uh, Faux pas. Um, yeah, that, that's where all of a sudden the whole conversation just shifts. You gotta tone it down, man. You gotta, you gotta put your life in order. The, um, the, the, you can only talk art up until that point and then it becomes a matter of life choice. The reality and the final word is essentially we're not advocating drug use we drug drug illegal drugs are bad you shouldn't do them however you cannot deny the influence they have on music they have had an influence that's the end are we telling people to go out and do drugs no course not in the end theoretically and yes it's only theoretically you probably have drugs to blame or thank for a lot of your favorite music out there because whatever it is whatever whatever inspired the choice the choice was made to do it at that particular time and it probably did affect the the that mode of creativity yes for sure it did <sighs> well after well, that huh yeah we did get i could have gone in several other directions i know you could have we, but uh, you know some of us need sleep We'll stick with that for now. Um, why don't, oh, hey, we've already claimed that we're going to do part twos to thousands of things we haven't, so why not add one more? We haven't done thousands of things. Shh. You're just being facetious. True. And nice use of facetious. Thank you. Steve, why don't you uh, take us into our Spam of the Week? Spam of the Week. Write more, that's all I have to say. Literally, it seems as though you relied on the video to make your point. You obviously know what you're talking about. Why waste your intelligence on posting videos just to your site when you could be giving us something informative to read? By Eric Gray, Buffalo, New York. See, now my question is, did they post that on a video? No, they posted it on no podcast this week. Of course. See, if that oh, was posted that was so on one close. of the song shots... There was a picture there. I had a really, really nice banner of a fall shot because it was autumn at the time. It was like middle of October. It's not a video, though, but, but, but if they were, were close. But if that were posted on a video, it would actually almost seem accurate. Because yeah. it's a person. Because it's, it's sort a of person. a person. Eric Gray of Buffalo, New York. It's no company. No, no Red Jordans. And it's kind of mean. Oh, uh, really? We've been talking about we don't write enough and... All that, and, and he's like, you should write more. I'm like, come on, man. What we'll are the try. spammers game? We work. What could we do to possibly make that spammer's life we don't just better? Do, we just do Obviously post more videos. It's, it's, not like I, it's not like we just sit around all day. Just not. We work. We do things. Are you defending S- yourself, the spam bot? Yeah, you compose. You do all your computer. I'm pointing at Steve. Steve composes. Storm does all of his music stuff, and I, I have a full time. Not music stuff, uh computer stuff he, <laughs> you don't know what he does do you <laughs> he does he does he does mainly computer table work right it's called data entry that thing um <laughs> i don't even know what to call myself we don't need right to defend now. ourselves to the spam bots when real Who people start you? complaining about us not putting up enough <laughs> we don't have to defend ourselves to the spam bots when the humans start complaining about the free content we put out then we'll put up a fight but for now hey. i'm not worried about good, it good one i like that yeah Anyway, um, so next week is my pick, and I've decided we've been way too serious lately. 
Um, oh, come on. I tried to make this one fun. It was supposed to be acid rock, and it ended up serious. <laughs> anyway, um, we've been toying with the idea of doing a comedy month, but it's just doing months devoted to one type of something is not as easy as we'd like. However, I've decided that I would like to engage in an album that I quite enjoy that I've heard already um, and that we've I've talked about on the site at nauseum about their videos and how they influence pop culture. And so we are going to do... The latest album from The Lonely Island, which came out last year, called The Whack Album. Um, they are no longer part of SNL. Um, some of the songs here were featured on SNL, but they are now doing their own thing. Um, and uh, we are going to get into that next week. It'll be very interesting, because we'll have to be rating not just on musicality, but in deliverance of comedy through music. It'll be a very unique kind of review. And the hilarity factor of the album overall. And since it's hilarity hip hop rap, I'm gonna be printing out lyrics, of course so I can you are. make all the jokes. Um, so, I'll I'll be looking for powerful satire. I'm telling you right up front. I'm sure you will be. Um, so that's what we're going to tackle next week. Um, so as always, music is life, and, and life, life is, is good. good. You slowed down there.